0: The following is brought to you by The Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos and you are listening to Keeping It
1: Strong Style, the ace of podcasts.
2: on today's show, we'll review Capital Collision and the first two nights of Best of the Super Junior 29 and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, WrestlingTees.com slash social suplex that's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t-shirt if you enjoy this podcast please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting social slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo this episode is brought to you by the njpwext the only browser extension for njpwworld.com with features like dark mode improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW world to the next level. You can visit njpw today for details. Young boy, how you doing man?
3: Um,
1: doing pretty well. Um you know birthday weekend recovering from that, you know. Um And now I'm here doing this
2: show. Yeah, uh, we had a little uh, get-together for your birthday on Friday night. Uh, A little interesting concept you put together. You had all your guests uh, pick a match from different promotions. 25-minute max time limit. Kind of created our own little super card. And we ran through that. That was pretty fun.
1: Yeah, that was cool, you know, um, having... People from the Lager Loop and uh, Social Suplex and what have you, some of the workers in the area come through. Um, And that was cool and all. You know, a few people gave me gifts, and I appreciate that. But one thing I I couldn't help but notice, Jeremy, that the Keeping It Strong style page didn't give any reference to my birthday on Sunday. So what's that about?
2: Uh, Man, uh, slacking. You know, I I gave you, you know, the personal shout-out in the group and on my Instagram on Facebook and I don't know. just didn't, yeah, put, you, didn't post. On you know,
1: like, you know, me, you know that I care about the clout of social media more than anything else. Okay. So yeah, you got me a book. Okay. You shouted me out in the group. That's all well and good. But um, Floyd Johnson messaged me on Twitter and let the world know it was my birthday. Let them know how much he appreciated me. He's not trying to keep me in the dark. The way mm. that you are mm. so you know ergo floyd johnson loves me more than you do basically is that's what <laughs> i've gathered from that
2: maybe he does
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but no yeah had a good weekend and uh one thing that's nice is like my uh, work anniversary kind of coincides with my birthday usually and at, i i just reached five years so at five years they give you like all these cool gifts and everything so you know i've been shopping and buying stuff and doing cool stuff this weekend, and uh, watching good wrestling, and you know, now I'm here to talk about it with you guys.
2: Nice, uh, so what else did you uh, do this weekend?
1: Um, You know, my dad took me to get a pedicure. Never had a pedicure before, I'm not sure if it's for me, I'm not one of those like feet guys, but uh, I will say that, you know, my toes are a lot cleaner than <laughs> <they were> before. <laughs> Uh, so that was one thing that was interesting. I uh, went and had Korean barbecue with uh, a girlfriend on my birthday. So we did that, and, you know, just kind of ate a bunch of food I probably should have been eating, drinking drinks I should have been drinking, stuff like that. Got gifts, you know.
2: Sounds like a fun weekend. I, I've I've had one pedicure before, and it was awesome.
1: no here's the funny thing is like i guess i'm peeling the curtain back a little bit my dad is like always complaining about money and stuff right um and he's got a good job and i'm always wondering like what does this fool spend his money on so we're in the place and like he knows all the girls he's very much like a regular as far as from what i could gather and then he's like yeah i get one of these uh every like three to four weeks i was like how much is it bro if i told you how much it was like I'm, I'm sure there's some people listening that know, but like, I have no idea how much like, you know, taking care of people's nails and feet, like costs, it it costs way more than you would think it would cost. (laughs) So yeah. Um, Yeah. It's in my opinion, kind of a frivolous expenditure, but, uh, you know, I don't know, they had a bubble bath,
2: put your feet in it, felt good. It's cool. Nice. Yeah. All right, man, glad you had a uh, good birthday weekend. Uh, we got tons of stuff to talk about here this week on the show. And uh, first thing we got to talk about is the ongoing story of the golden star Kota Ibushi. As we were recording last week, getting ready for last week's recording, this whole kind of story kind of started and developing one tweet after another. People trying to translate, people talking to sources and reporting, people messaging us, messaging other people. And so we didn't really cover it last week because, we, did, you know, the story was continuing to develop and change and all kind of details were coming out. But it seems like things have kind of calmed down for a little bit now, and we've heard several sources kind of talk about it and give their spin on it. And now that we have some more details, we can kind of, kind of give our thoughts on everything that's been going on with Kota Ibushi and New Japan. Um, so for those of you, I'm sure you pretty much everybody has kind of been seeing coverage now. I highly recommend you check out last week's uh, Voice of the Wrestling flagship. They did a good uh, talk on it as well as the Wrestling Observer. I got a little info on it, but pretty much the whole thing here, it seems like for whatever reason, Kota Ibushi is uh, upset with New Japan management, and it seems to stem back all the way to the G1 last year where Um, He was kind of rushed back from uh, the pneumonia to compete in the G1 And ended up getting hurt in the finals against Okada They wanted him to come back sooner for Wrestle Kingdom And set up an angle during those December Korakin shows He wasn't ready Then he was advertised for New Japan Cup Still wasn't ready And then we saw this whole kind of back and forth for him And a guy named Kikuchi who is what Abushi called a booker, uh matchmaker in the office which led to debates on people saying whether or not is Gato in charge, is Kakuchi guy in charge. Um so just a lot of back and forth Kotabushi tweeting all kinds of things referencing the uh, yakuza could be involved, calling out people who are cheating on their wives. So all kinds of stuff coming out here. Uh Bushi's kind of been calm the last couple of days it seems like Uh, But young boy, what are your thoughts and takes on this whole Kota Bushi situation?
1: Yeah. um, A lot to kind of unpack with this situation. So, I mean, um, kind of the summation that you gave, I would say is pretty accurate, but I would also add the caveat that a few of those details have actually been flip-flopped depending on who the source of the information is. So that's been one of the, um, difficult things about even trying to ascertain what has occurred here because uh you know we've had various different individuals online sort of tweeting or um translating the tweets that kodobushi puts out there and you know even just speaking with people that um understand or speak japanese they they kind of said that his tweets already the way he speaks are it's very like esoteric and very vague and um kind of whimsical sort of hard to understand and even interpret in the first place you know so there's that then um you know and those individuals that are doing those translations that's great on them you know good work that they're doing that but you know even reading through those doesn't completely give the full picture but we've seen some of the text messages that he's uh, kind of like screenshotted and tweeted out and then the translations of those and then um even like the investigative reporting um you know there's been just some um differences depending on who the reports are coming from um same thing with the translations and so even just like a small minor detail that might seem insignificant because there's conflicts of of the reports it gives an entire different sometimes timeline or view of exactly what it was that occurred so um you know far be it for me i feel like i'm a pretty intelligent person and i can't totally make heads or tails of exactly what has gone here or what has um you know caused it or what's been the catalyst for everything that being said there's a few things that i do know <laughs> and i think you did a pretty good job um sort of summing it all up um Kotobushi's angry. <laughs> and, um, you know, I feel like it's similar to like a situation where like if you have an ex that just that's that doesn't give a fuck, you know, and you know that you shouldn't fuck around on them. OK, because they once they're burned, if they're crazy, they will destroy your world and they will burn it to the ground with no sense of self-preservation they will they will go down with the ship and that is kodobushi right now (laughs) someone in new japan fucked around on him i don't know who i guess kikuchi maybe others and he was like you know what i don't need to wrestle anyways fuck this shit yakuza people cheating (laughs) you stole from me (laughs) sexual improprieties and it's like oh my god what is going on you know um (laughs) so there's that um and then you know it's kind of been quiet on the new japan front but from the one thing that we have heard and that we do know is that like the basically the house cleaning that is going on within the internal body of them it's not just with new japan it goes all the way up to like their parent companies and and um you know different people involved there which is that's very uncommon with their company you know that individuals from bushi road or otherwise or even TBSI might interfere and and have anything to do with what's going on in new japan as a as a whole um i will say that historically speaking these kinds of claims and allegations that have been thrown out there have been detrimental to wrestling companies and other companies in the in the past uh sexual propriety you know um that's a that's a huge thing in japan but even further than that any sort of whisper or allegation of yakuza or organized crime in in you know and i'm not the expert on japanese criminal law but like over the past couple decades like the reformations that have taken place within business um even just the mention going back to like 2007 there were organized uh crime ties to pride fighting championship which was the largest MMA promotion in the world and it sunk them overnight just one news story with the word Yakuza in it made every sponsor pull all of their sponsorships and UFC was able to pick up that property for two million dollars that's like basically the same thing that happened with WWF and WCW just because the mention of Yakuza so you know um that's something that the company is going to take very seriously like one way or the other now um I don't know about where things go from here as far as like the relationship between New Japan and Kota Ibushi or what the outcome of any of this will be but um you know it's been a very like kind of you know difficult thing to even wrap your mind around like You know, and I think a lot of it again just comes down to the uh, the language barrier here, and then also just Kodobushi being himself. But uh, it it sounds to me like he's got some serious, serious gripes. But also, in the world of Japanese professional wrestling, the way that he has handled it, and I'm not saying one, you know, who's right or wrong. I don't know. This is kind of outside of my scope. But I will tell you that mentioning people's um, shoot roles. (laughs) <laughs> over there and breaking kayfabe and releasing you know what's considered like proprietary information like a private text message chain with a booker or someone that's on a booking committee and, and also you know uh speaking out against these sorts of things in that sort of public form and manner in the old days of wrestling you'd get blackballed in japan i mean totally like it, that'd be seen as like you were completely unprofessional. You don't give a fuck. We're not working with you. Doesn't matter if it's a big Japan. Doesn't matter if it's a DDT. You know, like the one place that maybe he could go at that point in, in this landscape is like the slummiest of, of slummy like Japanese wrestling companies or like Dragon Gate. So um, maybe things are going to get smoothed out between him and Japan. And I wouldn't be surprised by that either. I don't know. I really don't know what's going on. I just kind of know the the basic ball points that you, like, mentioned. And I think the whole thing is super confusing, honestly.
2: Yeah, like you mentioned, depending on who you've been following on this story, there ha- all, there have been some flip-flops in where Abushi said he was ready at certain points, but New Japan wasn't ready for him. And then points where New Japan was ready for him, but he wasn't ready. So depending on where you follow there, like you mentioned, Kota Ibushi, he tweets and speaks, and when he speaks Japanese, it's a very vague way, so you don't know exactly who or what he's talking about. Um, so, again, when translating, that's uh, been very hard as well. And then, um, like you mentioned, um, you know, him going about this thing, you know, not saying he was wrong, but according in Japan culture, there were some wrestlers who kind of made some comments on Twitter, or on media outlets, kind of talking about how unprofessional Kota Ibushi is. I know Hideki Suzuki was one that tweeted, and I think Yano said something on his podcast. So it seems like there were a lot of guys who were kind of upset in the way Ibushi was handling this gripe and not kind of going, you know, working his way up the chain command behind doors and not making this whole kind of big public thing because obviously this is going to, like you mentioned, you mentioned Yakuza, that's, that's a big blow to business. And so I think a lot of guys were kind of scared for their jobs and positions. With that claim being thrown out there, and how serious that is taken in Japan, having those ties there, um, so yeah, it's it's a very just kind of crazy situation. And like I said, it seems like Abooshi hasn't really tweeted anything in, in the last couple of days, so I don't know kind of where the communication is. You know, some of those tweets that he leaked or, between him and Kakuchi, there seem to be like Kakuchi threatening. Abushi's um, contract, and Abushi just kind of seemed seeming like you know well, whatever, you you can fire me. And it was also Abushi showing up at a uh, JTO show in, in March that was not an approved appearance. He was a second for a wrestler. He was ringside, seen on camera. Um, that that was not approved, and so um, that's another situation. That I think that kind of came out in those texts between him and Kikuchi that you know he kind of had his unapproved appearance
1: yeah absolutely um there's just been yeah like like you mentioned even further details like that and you know um i i don't know necessarily and i'm I'm, i've never really been one to shy away from a particular topic or anything and i'm not afraid for us to talk about it here trust me we've spoken to plenty of people who don't want (laughs) to (laughs) um and and I mean a lot like there's a lot of people out there that don't really want to deal with this um subject in depth for for rightful reasons it makes sense you know if you have any sort of connection to the Japanese wrestling world you don't want to misspeak or say the wrong thing and upset one side or the other or anything of that nature if you have any sort of like professional connections to this sort of thing and there's a lot of people out there here in the West that do um with us though you know we always give the in-depth takes and opinions and the reviews and everything like that and you know we talk about the hard subjects but this isn't necessarily one where i'm trying to shy away from it because um i don't want to speak on it it's more like i don't want to speak too much on it because i don't fully grasp or comprehend what has happened here at all you know um we understand some of the like claims that um uh, abushi's made some of the gripes and some of the things he's upset with and we've seen the actions and then we've heard reports of what's going on internally with new japan but beyond that i mean we know as much as the next person like we i will i will say like we're not like um in contact with anyone that's giving us like okay, here's what's happening. Kikuchi's talking to Gato, and Gato's talking to him. <laughs> Like, we don't know all that. Um, and I don't know what the future holds with Ibushi. Now, I did see that, uh, I don't know if this matters at all, but I mean, past few days, uh, Ibushi and Kenny did get listed as um, the free match of the week, kind of like a precursor to Forbidden Door. So like their G1 match, I think that's a positive sign. Um, I saw something with Kidani. Um, a tweet that he put out there that, that referenced Ibushi and it seemed to be a positive thing. And that maybe is a, is a well-wishing sign. I don't know. And then um, even just as early as like Saturday um, during the super Jr's press conference, uh, TJP made mention of Ibushi. Now that could be a little bit more off the cuff, but like, you know, we're not hearing stories of him getting reprimanded or anything for, for dropping the name of a, of a, fired or released or separated or you know being punished talent so there's also that so i think there's a couple signs in the positive but i mean until you know and i think that the the depth of the reporting that's capable of happening has occurred here but until we hear more i mean I, i can't sit here and tell you who's in the right or the wrong aside from just the surface information we have right now you know
2: Right. It's, it's so hard to follow just through all the translations and the he says, she says kind of thing. And, you know, everybody who's been covering it is doing a good job. You know, obviously there are people other than us that have, you know, inside locker room sources. They have connections to some of the Japanese speaking wrestlers and kind of getting their thoughts and, and feedback from those guys. So I think all the, the details as much as possible is kind of out there from the Western side. And now we just kind of kind of sit back and kind of see how the thing plays out and what new japan's going to do um you know there was reports of like gato trying to smooth things over so like you mentioned maybe that's been the process and maybe they've talked to abushi and maybe maybe they've settled things who knows or maybe they're working through what the agreement is going to be but um clearly the theme the, it's the fire seems to be kind of dying down a little bit
1: yeah. And what I meant by some of the things I said earlier is basically this, like we're not afraid to broach the subject. I mean, if we, like, if we knew like, or at least me, if I knew that Kota Ibushi was 100% in the wrong here, I'd be like, fuck that guy. You know, he did this, he did this. Here's where he's wrong, blah, blah, blah. But you know, or if it was like, yo, new Japan, fuck this dude. And fuck you, new Japan. Here you go. Blah, blah, blah. But it's not like that right now. I, don't actually know um i don't i can't make heads or tails of it the only thing i do know is that there's multiple sides to these types of stories and the things that um abushi has said seem to line up with reports that existed out there in the past already and kind of what was already being um speculated by like those in the fan base that are sort of in the know some of that seems to add some validity there um especially like this remember the story about the merch and and you know him not getting money from the aw or from the uh the elite the golden elite uh t-shirts and stuff like that from pro wrestling tees yeah so i mean even that seems to be corroborated by some of the reports that are out there and if you guys don't know what, what we're talking about exactly um you know voice of wrestling patreon they have the full report and there's been a few other news reports that are out there too so you know check that stuff out but uh yeah it's it's hard to say i do know that a lot of people are not going to be happy about the way Ibushi has dealt with all this publicly uh that is going to be frowned upon generally and seen as like a uh an unprofessional thing but I don't know how long lasting those uh you know if there's any sort of punishment that might you know how far that goes how long that might last that sort of thing um I will say though I I can't remember I do remember lots of times where Ibushi has said and done outlandish things but I can't ever remember him, like, having a, uh, this kind of, like, blow up, you know, publicly. Right, yeah. And that says, that speaks volumes as well.
2: Right. I think when this initially started, people just thought, thought about, you know, LOL, Ibushi's just being goofy and silly again. He's saying wild and crazy things. And, you know, he has a history, like you mentioned. Of kind of you know being a bushi and saying and doing crazy things. I mean, this is a guy who you know shoots fireworks off his chest and you know bumps on the back of his neck on concrete. Like he does crazy things. He gets lost in airports. Like he does and doesn't says a lot of crazy stuff. And so I think initially people were like, "Oh, it's just a bushi being a bushi." But the more the tweets came out and the more story, the more the story was developing, it definitely seemed like all right, this is a, a lot more serious than a bushi just you know tweeting random stuff.
1: Hey, if nothing else, I now know who Kikuchi is. So, you know, it's added that to our life.
2: <laughs> well, I, we, we think we know who Kikuchi is.
1: Oh, we know. <laughs> um, also, um, I love the part where they threatened his job and he he's pretty much like pretty much just like, so what it. It just completely remind me of like that Ric Flair promo. I like, "Fire me! I'm already fired. Fire me!" <laughs> oh my gosh! I hate you. <laughs> so yeah, um, that is my in-depth <laughs> analysis of the Ibushi situation.
2: Yeah, I just had a few questions here. Uh, this first one more of a, I guess a statement than a question, but guess kind of a question. Rambo and Slam Slampick says, to "Reiterate from last week." WTF, Abushi? So,
1: go ask him. I don't know.
2: Hayabusa five five nine five says: Since Koda stopped tweeting, do you think both sides are talking? Could this be resolved, or are we looking at serious legal or personnel matters? I think both are likely scenarios, honestly. Right. Again, we don't know exactly where things stand right now, but it seems like Gato or if somebody in the company is trying to smooth things over. So, but again, I, like you mentioned Bushy Roads getting involved, TV Asai, and if they feel like people maybe have ties to Yakuza, they, they could clean house and, and some things could shift up in the power structure in New Japan.
1: They'd be idiotic not to take some sort of action like that. I did see one tweet from an individual that was like, you think that the Yakuza's, oh, well, because abushi put out a tweet talking about his personal safety and concerns and yada yada and so then you know this is right when the yakuza stuff first got thrown out there and um you know a lot of people were kind of reacting very fearfully and you know with concern for the well-being of kota abushi so i saw this one idiot tweet he's like you think the is just gonna go go and murder international celebrity kota abushi and i didn't respond to it but I just saw that and I was like, yes, that's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> do you know nothing about per Rezu? Do you not know who Ricky Dozan is and how he died? <laughs> that's exactly what happened to the biggest cultural phenomenon in the history of, of Japanese wrestling. Ricky Dozan was murdered by a yakuza member. Yes, this could happen very easily. You know, look at what happened in FMW, too. Like, there is precedence for this.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then last question here from Razor Pumping Bomba says, Do you think there's a way that Kota Bushi and NJPW will come to a solution that leads to him staying with the company, or is that relationship burned for the foreseeable future?
1: You know, wrestling is a really strange thing. I mean, we've seen all kinds of countless, you know, um, issues expand into you know lifelong strifes with multiple companies being created out of it and you know just complete rifts that change and shape the history of pro wrestling and then at the same time we've seen people that had terrible professional relations and personal relations come together do business you know make money together and there's no telling which way this is going. It could be either of those two things. Would I be surprised based on the history of wrestling if Kotobushi and um you know New Japan like get this wrapped up and, and you know he's competing in the ring with them again soon? I no, I wouldn't. But uh you know if he ends up stateside or something like that, don't be surprised. I don't know.
2: Yeah, again, I think it, it could go Either way, um, I think obviously Kota is a very big star. He's a very talented wrestler. He's somebody that they wanna keep. I mean, they, they made him the the first, you know, unified world heavyweight champion in this new kind of era of, you know, New Japan pro wrestling. And so obviously I think they see a lot of value in him and I think they would want to keep him. Um, uh, but again, I guess it just comes out maybe does he does he even wanna stay there? Does he still wanna wrestle? So a lot of a lot of unanswered questions that will Hopefully be answered soon.
0: I
1: don't trust wrestlers when they say they don't want to wrestle anymore. After that juice stuff, like, I, I just can't take anything they say at face value, you know? Fucking liars.
2: Uh, a bunch of carnies. bunch of
1: liars is what they are. People call it working. Oh, that's a cute word for lie. <laughs> Deceiver. <laughs>
2: Alright, let's uh, start talking about some New Japan action here. So we're going to start in uh, New Japan of America, kind of going chronological order here of the shows that happened over the last week. So Friday, May 13th, New Japan Strong aired the first episode of the Mutiny Tour, which is kind of a little bit of a go-home show for the Capital Collision show on Saturday. So the show... Yeah show opened up. We had Adrian Quest, Alex Coughlin, and our good friend Rocky Romero defeating the Team Filthy team of Black Tiger, Dane Limelight, and JR Kratos, 8 minutes and 33 seconds.
1: Yeah, this was fine. Um, Everybody was out there, you know, hitting their spots, doing their thing. You know, I feel like we've seen a million um, six-man and eight-man tags with Team Filthy and then you know, Team USA uh... (laughs) Um, what what would you call them? USA Hontai? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, so you know, it's nothing surprising here. Alex Coughlin and uh Kratos had their awesome spots in the middle of the match, Adrian Quest flying around, Rocky was great, you know, uh Danny Limelight flying around, Black Tiger doing what he does. But um, you know, the two big stories here essentially were the Kratos Coglin interactions and then Rocky Romero and Black Tiger's ongoing
2: feud Yeah, uh, post-match, you know, Rocky said that He's coming for Black Tiger, issued a challenge for the next time They're back in California I think that's going to be in the, on the Ignition tour in June um, He said, you know, I'll put my hair up on the line You can put your mask up on the line, like, we'll figure it out We'll get the steps ready, And but I want you to face me In my hometown with the Crowley behind me So you can hear those Rocky chants so we're eventually going to get some kind of big uh, blow-off match between Rocky and Black Tiger.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Um, we'll see where that goes. I mean, I made some pretty bold proclamations about this show last week when we were doing the preview for it, and I ended up being completely wrong. So I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, we're going to finally find out who Black Tiger is. Like, I don't know. but uh you know, hopefully it's not a weak payoff. Hopefully it leads to something good. So yeah. Um the other post match thing though that was really crazy was Kratos and Coglin and Kratos just completely demolishing Alex Coglin and causing him to get the stretch job.
2: Yeah, that's right. Stretching him out, and that's why he was off of Capital Collision. And um he did make his comeback at the collision uh, tapings the next day. Also, but this, this was filmed quite a while ago, so yeah, this kind of injury angle here to just kind of add a, a new, you know, level of intensity between what's been going on between Coglin and JR. Kratos.
1: Definitely. Um, also, is that the feud of the year in New Japan for me right now? That might be.
2: Yeah, Coglin and Kratos. I, I think that's definitely a top contender. You know, you look at the singles match they had. And then every interaction that's been in these, you know, six man, eight man, ten man tags, the Coglin Kratos interactions are always the highlight of those matches. And you know, the big power spot where Coglin finally, you know, does a big suplex or power slam on Kratos always gets a huge pop, no matter which uh, city they're in. So yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a, a top uh, contender for that award.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, if that's not it, then the feud that's centered in this second match here could be the other contender. Uh, we had a handicap match with the West Coast Wrecking Crew, Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs, as they defeated Fred Rosser 7 minutes and 28 seconds. And the stipulation here was if Fred Rosser defeated the West Coast Wrecking Crew, he would automatically get a title shot for the strong openweight title. And He failed... In this, uh, you know, in this quest, which completely went went against what I thought was the logic of the booking here. Uh, but then post match, we got we figured out what was really going on.
2: Yeah, it was very surprising. You know, normally you see this kind of handicap match. We've seen it in WWE and you know, in wrestling across time, where you have the, the big, you know, number one contender Bay Face fighting for a tile shot. He goes up against a tag team. He ends up beating the tag team and, and gets his tile shot. Uh, But here, you know, they use use the logic of, well, the West Coast Wrecking Crew, they are one of the best tag teams on Strong, quote-unquote one of the best tag teams in the world. It it makes sense for this great tag team to be able to beat one really good singles wrestler, and that was kind of the logic here they had. You know, Ross just couldn't, you know, out-maneuver or outwork these two guys who have been teaming for a long time and one of the top teams. So that that was very surprising that they get the win on him. And then post-match, Filthy Tom comes in. He was on commentary during this match. He comes into the ring and, um, you know, he's saying, you know, Tommy, you – or, you know, uh, Ross, are you, you want this tile shot so bad, you know. Well, if I'm going to give it to you, you got to give me something. He's like, you know what, I think you look better bald. Why don't you go ahead and, and shave your head, and, and maybe I'll give you the tile shot. And they have a razor out there, and uh, Isaac's is, you know, teasing, shaving the head, and Ross grabs a razor, and he starts shaving off his afro. Um and then uh Tom's like, you know what, Fred? The answer is still no. <laughs> <laughs> uh then he's like, you know what? He's like coming up, collision is my birthday. What better birthday present to give myself than to get rid of the you know the thorn in my side since strong has begun? So he's like, Fred Rosser, I'll give you the tile shot. If you put your new Japan strong career on the lines, I don't care. You can go wrestle anywhere else. You can go to Japan. You can go wherever else. But if I beat you, you can no longer wrestle on new Japan strong.
1: Yeah, um, I thought that, hey, I thought this match was pretty good. Um, I liked the logic that, you know, the best tag team in the company is not going to be bested by even one of the top stars of of this uh you know show so that was cool but then um you know post-match i felt like the entire angle that you just sort of described for us was so so well done i mean there's a lot of heat here especially like the moment where they offer the clippers to um uh, uh fred rosser and then he just started you know kind of haphazardly just shaving his head his hair off showing like i don't care like whatever it takes i want this shot and then when they tell him like He's standing there half shaved, half bald, you know, and then, no, you're not
2: getting the title shot, <laughs> yeah. bro.
1: I was like, bro, that got hit with me. I was like, bro, I hope he kicks this dude's fucking ass. Like, I I, do, I don't care now. Like, yeah, because
2: it's the second time that he's made yeah. him shave his head in this feud.
1: Oh, and then Filthy took a uh, bunch of the um, oh, yeah. hair and put it in his mouth again. This is the second time he did He's chewing on it, and, like, th- that just really grosses me out. But then the crowd goes swallow it (laughs) spits it out and he goes i'm not like the rest of you oh man but um yeah man and then you know we finally got the setup like this is it it's happening the trilogy match rosser versus uh tom lawler for the title title versus career i love the stakes i love the setup i love the matches i'm hyped for this and i'm ready for it to come
2: Yeah, and so this match was, the title match was taped uh, this past weekend on the Collision tapings in Philadelphia. So if you don't want to be spoiled, I highly recommend that you do not listen to Wrestling Observer for the next couple weeks because they've been talking about the result often on a lot of the shows that Brian Alvarez Alvarez is on. (laughs) Um, So if you you want to stay spoiler-free, avoid those shows. Try to stay out of the New Japan strong circles online because the results are floating around. Uh, yeah, so, I mean,
1: I can imagine exactly. It, it's either going to be and still the strong open weight champion Tom Lawler, or he's going to be like, man, he the former champion <laughs> Tom Law. Like he, they're <laughs> going to say it a bunch of times. It's like so right. I haven't been, <laughs> I haven't been listening. <laughs> uh,
2: so the main event of Night One of Mutiny was the U.S. of J Open Challenge Series match with Switchblade Jay White defeating. Hikaleo, 18 minutes and 33 seconds. Obviously, this all stems from Jay White kicking out Hikaleo's brothers, Tamatonga and Tangaloa, out of the Bull Club. And then we saw the angle right here in St. Petersburg, Florida, during the Strong Style Evolve tapings, where um, Hikaleo and Jay White kind of had this confrontation at the end of the tapings. And Hikaleo, you know, pretty much saying, you know, why can't the future be now? Why can't I be leader of bullet club which led to this clash here
1: yeah so i mean it's kind of interesting there's quite a few people in this group that seem to be angling for you know uh potential leadership control i mean you got jay you got evil you got hickleo you got you know um elp lots of different guys that think that maybe they they have what it takes to be the man in that group but uh I thought this match was good. Um, not great, but probably Hikaleo's best match, I would say. Um, it's one of those things where it's kind of cliche to be like he's he's so improved, but he is always improving almost every time I see him get in the ring, and that's not it's not Cap. I saw a bunch of people that were hating on like Twitter trying to like claim that this guy's never had it and doesn't have it. That's not what I see whatsoever when, I mean, if he, if that's how I felt, I would just say it, but, um, I think Hikaleo is a guy that's got a lot of upside, a lot of potential. He's got a great look and, um, yeah, I think he got carried here. I think, uh, you know, Jay kind of showed his generalship and his um, experience in calling the match and sort of leading him through to something that was very competent and, and, you know, pretty exciting. I thought the finish uh, of the match was really well done. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, this was sort of a, a a bit of a test. I thought Hikaleo passed. So,
2: yeah, I think the one thing that we really got to see here was Hikaleo selling. Because you know, a lot of times in the matches that he yeah. had on Strong, he's usually pretty dominant, or he's you know, they're squash matches, or he's you know, winning pretty easily. They're he's usually in pretty short matches. But here, eighteen minute main event, uh, Jay White working over uh, the legs and the knees, trying to do the you know the, the TTO submission hold and. Um, So yeah, Hikaleo really had to sell here in this match We saw his, you know, selling facial expressions And he fought from underneath for the first time in a long time here on Strong um, And just could not overcome JYJ Was able to hit the Blade Runner at the end here And get the win, Hikaleo And then uh, post-match, you know, we kind of get the the confrontation What's going to happen now that is, you know, Hikaleo going to get kicked out But uh, Jay offers him the two sweet and they two sweet and it seems like Hikaleo is going to be in Bull Club for the foreseeable future
1: yeah I mean they didn't give any indication that he uh, was planning to leave it if anything it seemed like this sort of solidified his position within Bull Club and kind of solidified his relationship with Jay as the leader and him sort of becoming like a uh, somewhat of a lieutenant or underling. So, right, um, and and I think we're kind of going to see, talk about that more when we get to the Capital Collision review, but that's that was sort of my vision of how this all played out.
2: Yeah, in the post-match promo, we kind of got um, a good promo from Jay that kind of links back to stuff he was saying back when he joined Chaos. Remember, back when he joined Chaos, he was saying, you know, why can't guys and factions challenge a leader? Because when he was in mm. Chaos, he wanted to challenge Okada. He's like, why can't guys, you know, challenge each other in factions? Why do we have to fight other factions? He brought that back here in his post-match promo. He's like, you know, this is what I've been saying from day one. You know, it's okay for guys and factions to fight each other. It's okay to step up to the leader and see what you got. I'm glad Hikaleo stepped up to me. And so kind of, you know, bringing it full circle in that whole story. And Jays always kind of wanted to see faction mates fight each other and, you know, see what they got against each other.
1: Yeah, I'm a fan of it too uh, as well. And I think that it kind of creates a different um dimension of that person's character that we get to see on display that's not usually there when they're facing a natural enemy or a natural foil you know we kind of get to a little bit more insight seeing how they respond to wrestling a stable mate and someone they train with and a friend and you know we're seeing some of that super juniors as well which is kind of cool
2: yeah So next week will be uh, night two of the Mutiny Tour. We're going to have Brody King, Russ Taylor, and Masca taking on the United Empire team of Great Ocon, Aaron Hanare, and TJP. The Alpha Wolf, Carl Fredericks, and the Wild Rhino, Clark Connors, will be taking on Aaron Solo and Nick Komaroto from the Factory. And then Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson, will be taking on Ren Narita. So they will be airing this Dickinson match, and Dickinson did compete against Tanahashi on Sunday on the Collision Philadelphia taping, so it seems like New Japan is going to move forward with using Chris Dickinson, and they haven't really made a statement. There hasn't really been any updates on the scenario, but it seems like they're just going to push forward. Yeah, remember
1: earlier on the episode how I said if there was an issue in New Japan, I would say something about it. I'm going to say something about it here. Now, no matter what your opinion is of The situation with chris dickinson and who's right who's wrong whatever your opinion is that's irrelevant new japan as a company they had enough foresight so that they took uh chris dickinson off the capital collision show now it did they say explicitly that they were doing that because of the allegations and the ongoing situation not necessarily they didn't say that specifically but one would believe that that's what was going on just due to the timing and the nature of it all and how quietly they sort of handled that whole thing and i think they kind of knew like hey this is a hot topic right now if we have this guy come out and compete and it's on a live pay-per-view feed that might not be good for us you know what who knows what reactions he might get who knows what kind of publicity we might get so they had enough foresight to take him off that show but then the very next night they had him and tanahashi compete in a singles match and this occurred even though they stopped advertising the match and made it seem as though it might not even be happening any longer that screams to me shady practices i gotta say uh i'm not usually one to say that but like If you took the guy off the one night and then you put him on the next night, even though you stopped advertising it and you didn't say anything, and you haven't put out any kind of acknowledgement any sort of anything here in the West. That's not a good look whatsoever, you know, and I mean, I am saying this like let's just assume 100% Chris Dickinson is 100% in the right didn't do anything wrong whatsoever. I mean, he took himself off of shows because he didn't want to draw back, draw attention from it, and was talking about how he was going to use every resource to his ability to clear his name and, and to deal with the allegations. Uh, so far, there's been no sign of that. There's been no indication that that's happening, and there's been no nothing from the company. That's not a fucking good look at all. It's not. Yeah, I would say it'd be better for them to just go full hog and just – If you're going to do it this way, you might as well just kept him on the Capitol Collision Show and just kept running with him. Like, why pull him?
2: Right. And this book, I totally agree with you. There should have been a statement put out. You know, even if you said, even if they think that he's in the right, they should have put out statements like, you know, New Japan has done an investigation and we've found nothing wrong with Chris Dickinson. And we're going to continue to use them until furthermore evidence is provided, whatever they want to say,
1: however they wanted to say, whatever it is they wanted to say
2: but they didn't.
1: The whole thing just screams, like, "Eh," you know, by the time this airs, you know what I mean? Hopefully. And I mean, this isn't the first time that New Japan has brought someone that had allegations and, you know, was kind of viewed in a particular light in the public and try to put them on strong tapings.
2: Right. So I don't know. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, for New Japan, this situation, Chris Dickinson was not as big of a star as Marty Skrull So the Marty thing got a ton of attention I was looking at how people Would have reacted from you know the Philadelphia Pictures and the announcement of the Red Narita match this coming Saturday And I did not see a ton of people that were like Oh my gosh you're using Dickinson I can't believe that obviously the people In the know kind of had that reaction but I saw a lot of people just like oh cool You know Dickinson's wrestling Narita this this Week and so there wasn't A lot, a lot of people probably don't even know Exactly what's going on in that whole situation
1: yeah, I don't know. And I mean, like, I, I on the one hand, I feel like this show, we've talked about it. Uh, Jcast, they've talked about it. And it's like, I don't feel like we're we're approaching it because we want to get more eyes on it necessarily. Uh, in one respect, I sort of felt like it was out there and everyone was talking about it. But it's more like it's it shouldn't be something that should be skirted around or, or go, go unacknowledged. It's very much a thing that should be acknowledged. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, we've seen how it plays out. If enough people are upset within the company and without, then maybe things will change. And if nobody says anything and they like the guy, you know, it'll probably be a similar Michael Elgin situation, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, let's move on now to Capital Collision, which was Saturday, May 14th. Uh, another New Japan of event affected by COVID 19. So originally, Trent Barreta was supposed to be on the show, teaming with Kazuchika Okada in the semi-main event. Uh, Barreta did test positive for COVID-19, which forced him off of the pay-per-view, and he got replaced by our good friend Rocky Romero. And Rocky got pulled out of the ten-man uh, tag and was replaced by the D.K.C. And then the D.K.C. was replaced in the dark match. Uh, by Nick Comoroto against uh, Kevin Knight So uh, moving on to the, the actual show here So the show kicked off with the Alpha Wolf Carl Fredericks Taking on uh, Ren Narita, defeating Ren Narita at 10 minutes and 32 seconds This was the second matchup between these two guys Narita had defeated Fredericks earlier in the LA Dojo showcase on Strong uh, a while back So Fredericks here getting the win back, tying these guys up one and one, and I thought this was a great way to kick off the show here. Uh, these guys were uh, hard hitting going back and forth. There's so many uh great sequences here. Narita just going um for the 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 belly to belly suplex. There was a great uh near submission with the Narita special number three that you know, rolling leg lace uh clover leaf that Narita does. Uh, but in the end of the match here, uh, Fredericks was able to uh overcome. And lay Narita out with the manifest destiny. And Narita took a nasty uh, spike bump uh, on this DDT, uh, got laid out here. Carl Fredericks gets the win, uh, ties up. They both kind of embrace after the match. And both of them kind of saying, you know, we're one to one now. We got to run it back one more time and see, you know, who truly is the better man. But uh, Fredericks didn't get long to celebrate as he was ambushed by QT Marshall in the factory. Um, and they, they laid out uh, Fredericks and set up the uh, angle for the upcoming match that was taped on the Philadelphia tapings.
1: Yeah, so I didn't see the first half of this show. I am going to um, do the catch-up tomorrow while I'm working, but, yeah, this weekend's been crazy between, you know, strong, super juniors, the press conference. Super Junior's part two (laughs) and Capital Collision. I mean, it's been a lot to kind of cover. I did catch from basically from the uh, Birdie King Minoru Suzuki match, but uh, I didn't see this match. Um, But what would you have given like your final ratings on this one?
2: I went a 3.75 on this one.
1: Okay. So, I mean, for for a 10 minute opener, that's pretty good.
2: Yeah. These guys are working fast paced, hard hitting, great near falls. It was a really fun matchup. Great way to open the show. Nice. So then uh, following that we had the Team Filthy team of Dane Limelight, Jarrell Nelson, Jared Kratos, Royce Isaac, and Tom Lawler. They defeated the team of David Finley, Fred Rosser, Tangleloa the DKC, and Yuyu Amora at fourteen minutes and forty-eight seconds. Like we said last week, these Team Filthy 10-man tags are always fun on these pay-per-view shows. And this one was quite the same here. Uh, really good back and forth action also this match has a, a lot of feuds kind of mixed in it. Also, the, the main thing here being the uh, Tom Lawler and Fred Rosser match. This was kind of the, the last match to set up the title match that was taped the next day. And throughout the match, Rosser was just gunning for Tom the whole time. And you know he would tag in, and Tom would be on the, the apron. He would go right after Tom. And so a lot of great um, back-and-forth action here. Match ended with uh, day Limelight. Uh, hitting a Tornado DDT on the DKC to get the win here. So Team Filthy uh, getting the momentum going into um, the title match the next day. Uh, But after the match, uh, Finley did go wild with the Shillelagh, and uh, Team Ross did uh, stand tall as Team Filthy retreated, but Team Filthy still got the win. So then following that, we had one half of the IWGP, Heavyweight tag team champions, the crown jewel, Chase Owens. He defeats the great Ocon, 8 minutes and 46 seconds. Uh, pretty quick matchup up here. It's also just setting up the Dominion tag title match that's coming up next month. Um, you know, fine back and forth. Uh, ended pretty quick here. Uh, great Ocon over uh, in D.C. just like he was in Chicago. Chase Owens gets the win uh, with a roll up and getting his feet on the rope, so cheating to beat the great O'Connor. The fans did not like this one bit. But Chase stealing one here from O'Connor. This will be the first of uh, several defeats here for the United Empire Group, and first of many wins for the Bullet Club Group. So then after that, we had Bad Dude Tito and the Mighty Don't Kneel, Jonah, Mikey Nichols, and Shane Hanks. They defeated the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis, 12 minutes and nine seconds. Uh, another fun multi-man matchup here. Uh, the big highlight was when uh, Jeff Cobb and Jonah finally got their big face off and got to go head to head. The crowd was going crazy for these two uh, big men, just sl- uh, you know, slamming each other and throwing blows at each other, and uh, it was great stuff here. I'd love to see these guys in, in a full, you know, G one. A style matchup here, but these guys going uh, back and forth uh, towards the end. Uh, the mighty don't kneel of uh, Nichols and Hayes, they were able to hit their uh, double-team move onto Kyle Fletcher and get the win for their team. Uh, Jonah and Jeff Cobb had a lot of jaw-jacking after the match, and uh, then uh, at the end of the match, Nichols, he pointed to uh, Badu Tito and pointed to the logo on his tights. And Tio shook all their hands. So it seems like bad dude Tito is now officially a member of TMDK and we're having this whole new uh TMDK here on New Japan Strong.
1: That sounds pretty exciting, just the idea that we sort of have a reformed slash new version of TMDK in New Japan. I mean, you know, people are always asking for shakeups to the uh you know, the faction system, but one thing we seldom take into consideration is freelance, you know, um factions that might exist out there that could just come into New Japan as well. Sort of like Strong Hearts and sort of like TMDK here.
2: Yeah, and I'm happy about this because I love Bad Dude Tito. I think he's been great and his appearance has on strong thus far. And so this kind of kind of cements him here a little bit more in New Japan and it seems like he'll be brought back more. And there was a rematch of this eight man tag on the Philadelphia taping. So it seems like this feud will be continuing between United Empire, and TMDK. So then the next match we had Brody King defeating Minoru Suzuki nine minutes and five seconds. And this one was, it it was quick, but it was a slugfest.
3: Yeah,
1: um, quick slugfest. Um, You know, I would call this the Minoru Suzuki, um, you know, indie match plus. (laughs) because it was a little bit more than what he's doing on the indies now he gave just a little bit more to brody king a little bit more effort but um you know the real surprising thing was like towards the tail end like suzuki was just dominating him he's winning the strike exchanges putting him to sleep with all the rear nakeds winning all the submission um you know control battles and then it looked like he was about to get the gotch, which would have fit right in line with the type of match he's been having all over the the U.S. lately. Uh, except for magically, he didn't. He wasn't able to, um, you know, pull it off on a guy the size of Brody King. Brody King was able to, you know, reverse it, get some offense of his own, and then suddenly hits the fucking Gonzo Bomb, and it's like, oh, my God, like, you know, Lariat, 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 Gonzo Bomb, see him Minoru Suzuki, <laughs>
2: Yeah, dude, the Gonzo bomb just looks so crazy, especially with a guy as big as Brody King doing it. So he, he got Suzuki. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> don't kill Suzuki. It's like drilled him with the Gonzo bomb. It's like such a great looking finisher. Yeah, I guess the kind of big win here. You know, last week we kind of predicted that, you know, uh Suzuki would get the win here and Brody King would kinda of lay down. But yeah, Brody King getting the, the big win here in uh, quick fashion. Um, Suzuki worked over his his hand throughout the match because um, Brody King went for a chop at one point in the match, and he ended up chopping the post on the outside. So Suzuki worked over his hand uh, throughout the match, but yeah, uh, Brody was able to overcome that, like you mentioned, overcome the strikes, get out the gotch, and hit the the big Gonzo bomb for the win. So then, follow, yeah. following that, we had the Stone Pit Bull Tomohiro Ishii defeating Eddie Kingston. 16 minutes and seven seconds.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, this was everything that um, most people expected it to be. You know, um, I kind of misspoke last week and talked about, like, you know, if, if they had a certain type of match, then we knew we would know that, like, Eddie Kingston might be just, you know, talk and not, you know, willing to back it up. Um, that was not the case, and then you pointed out the the match he had with Gabe Kidd earlier this year and then I I recalled that this was just as hard hitting Um, this was a slugfest man I mean this was a real slugfest like a war these guys were just going back and forth with headbutts elbows chops you know kicks backhands headbutts everything like it, it this was awesome and then you know, once they got out of the strike exchanges and started working towards the tail end with all the big, you know, suplex variants on one another. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, for everything I might have talked to Junk last week about Eddie and not really being quote unquote King's Road style. I don't know if I'd call it King's Road, but it was definitely a tribute or a homage to King's Road style because they were dropping each other on their heads and just larrating the crap out of each other and just pulling out all the awesome 90s offense. Like, I loved this. Not only did I love this, but, um, you know, it'd be hard for me to imagine anybody else surpassing Tomohiro Ishii as Wrestler of the Month right now between this match, the match he had with... Uh, um, uh, Tan- Tanahashi. Yeah, Tanahashi. And given the way things have been going so far in the Super Junior Tournament, Someone's gonna have to like really put in some big time performances to surpass this guy
2: right now, yeah. And I know we don't, typically don't account excursion work, but he did have the awesome world title match against Josh Alexander and Impact as well. And he's been on Impact, yeah, but I probably. don't watch Impact. <laughs> I'm just saying it's the stuff's on world. I'm just it's a cherry on top. I don't
1: watch it, <laughs> no, <it's funny.
2: laughs> uh, but yeah, this match is so awesome. You know, Kingston busting out the the Kings Road playbook and and the big. Suplexes and Urinagis And spitting back fists And also Ishii doing his big offense You know the, the great double down spots They had here like this match was just So awesome I, I went Four and a half on this thing like this match Was uh, at this point The the match of the night and uh, Ishii got Kingston up at the end Here with the big vertical drop brain Buster and put Kingston away uh, I think people were Worried about AW guys getting the clean sweep Here but Ishii was able to overcome uh, Tony Khan and his booking plans and defeat Eddie Kingston.
1: I think Tony Khan listened last week and was like, oh, oh, that's what's happening? Okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to use my weight to, you know, get Kingston over each you. Fuck it. Kingston, you're laying down. (laughs) That'll show those kiss boys.
2: (laughs) And uh, Eddie Kingston did come out here with the the bandage uh, by his face where he got the the fireball from the uh, wizard Chris Jericho on AEW uh, a couple of weeks ago, so, uh, you know, try, trying to sell that, but, you know, halfway through the match, he, he rips a bandaid off. He looks perfectly fine, but, you know.
1: Yeah, he, I I, would, <laughs> I didn't know why he had the bandage on, and then they pulled it off. There's nothing there, and I was like, what, what was this about? I forgot about the fireball angle.
2: <laughs> That's pretty funny,
1: but I will go on the record and say this for me was easily the match of the night.
2: Yeah, this, this was an awesome matchup here And yeah, uh, Kingston trying to be like Mox When uh, Mox had to sell the, the eye injury uh, During in uh, the G1 Or the, I forget which match it was I think it was an Ishii match that He had to sell the, or Suzuki match He had to sell the, the eye injury But just had, uh, you know, the patch came off And his eye looked fine But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is definitely, uh, you know Match of the night Hard-hitting slugfest Strong style This will probably end up being a strong style Fight of the year Uh, Contender and definitely one I would say go out of your way to Watch and one of the things To mention real quick was uh, The stream for Fight TV just looked uh, It looked absolutely great Um, You know People said New Japan said that they were going to work on Improvements for the stream And make things uh, better For the stream going forward And they did Uh, I watched the show On Fight TV No issues at all. The stream didn't drop at all, and the quality looked uh, really, really good. So uh, I'm glad that uh, New Japan was able to uh, figure things out there and that the uh, Fight TV feed was uh, really good for this show.
1: Yeah, that was something I was going to ask you about. Since I didn't see the whole show, I wasn't entirely sure about All the production snafus we've mentioned in the past. I did, um, there was one slight issue during this particular match, the Ishii and uh, uh, Kingston match, sort of like a, it it almost seemed like a lag or something jumped, like a time jump, but um, the picture quality was great. The sound was great, Uh, at least from the second half of the show. Um, The way it was shot was done really well for the most part they were catching most things um yeah, a huge huge improvement over what we've seen over the last 2 years of us you know production for independent shows that were not strong even some strong taping so um was that the way it was all throughout the show
2: yeah the whole show i had no issues figi didn't drop one time the quality looked good the whole way through um, you
1: watched it live right
2: yeah so it, it looked good. It was good. And I saw no other people complaining on Twitter. So it seems like the, the improvements worked and it seems like they finally figured out this uh, pay-per-view thing here.
1: Well, I still don't think they figured out pay-per-view because they're doing it way too often. And I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> like even us doing this show, I feel I don't want to pay $20 every two months or every month to cover a show here in the States.
2: Right. It, it should be on NJPW world, but, or on, or on, access TV, but something. Yeah. So after this match, we had a surprise appearance from the man of the hour. Leo rush came out, got a big hometown pop. He's from Washington, DC big. Welcome home. Chance got the mic, said that he's not cleared to come back yet, but when he is cleared, the landscape of the entire junior heavyweight division will change. He called out Robbie Eagles, Taiji Shimori, Harumu Takahashi, and others said his time is slowly approaching and whether he'll show up on strong or in New Japan proper, or maybe both, that we will see him soon. And so seems like Leo Rush um, will be back in New Japan once he's cleared probably be part of strong initially and then we know there was rumors at one point he was supposed to be in best super juniors before COVID happened so i'm sure if he was not injured he probably would be in the tournament right now so i'm assuming that we're probably going to get a big leo rush junior title match maybe later this year if he's cleared
1: and if he doesn't retire again
2: yeah (laughs) Uh, so following that, we have the semi-main event of the evening. Bull Club team of Hikaleo and Switchblade Jay White. They defeated the Chaos team of Kazuchika Okada and our good friend Rocky Romero at 15 minutes and 59 seconds.
1: Yeah, so um, I thought that this tag match was good. Um, you know... I think a lot of the story, well, you know, the appeal of the match obviously was just to kind of see Okada and Jay White mix it up once again. Um, I didn't realize this, but they mentioned on commentary that, and check, is this even correct? They said the last time they had a singles match was that Madison Square Garden show in 2019. I, I feel like they had to have wrestled in the one since then, or maybe, am I wrong?
2: Um, I don't remember them wrestling. Let me uh, go to Cage Match here and see if I could uh pull up there. I'm there. I'll do it.
1: I didn't even. I, I should have checked, but I just didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah. I mean, that, in in a company where we see, yeah. Um. Oh, you know what? I'm right. They said the last time they wrestled was during SuperCard, but they in fact did wrestle in the a block in 2020 so i knew that i was like that just seems so unlikely like that they would keep them apart for what coming up on four years or or whatever it is yeah Um, that just seems so unlikely but uh yeah it's been a while since they have mixed it up and um you know kind of seeing this version of jay white take on this version of okada is a little different than how it was before but the other kind of um Interesting tale was just Rocky's inclusion and the size differential between him and Ting- or uh Hikaleo, and also kind
2: of the back history between
1: him and um uh Jay White as well, with Jay White's defection from Chaos. That all kind of came into play here,
2: yeah. I thought it was hilarious when um you know Matt started off with Okada and Jay, and then eventually Jay tagged out to Hikaleo, and Rocky was like screaming for the tag, like, tag me in, tag me in. And Kyle's like, nah, you're, you're too short <laughs> I'm not tagging you in thought that was pretty funny And eventually Rocky got in And uh, had to go up against Higaleo But they had some good back and forth spots there And yeah, it was a really fun tag match Getting a good little preview for the Dominion World Heavyweight title match Coming up with Okada and Jay White um, So in the end here uh, The Bull Club team uh, got the win With Jay White hitting the Blade Runner Out of nowhere on Rocky Romero Uh, Post-match, you had Jay and Okada Kind of going back and forth with words And um, Hikaleo uh, reappeared, took out Okada White gave him the Blade Runner And then held up the IWGP World Heavyweight title over Okada Um, Hikaleo would go for a chokeslam But then Tangaloa, his brother came out Former Bull Club member He says you don't turn your back on family Uh, But then Hikaleo left with White But there was no Physical confrontation between Hikaleo and his brother, Tengaloa.
1: Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know if I totally loved this whole interaction. I mean, I'm definitely intrigued by the idea of, you know, the family dynamic and these guys being split between different groups and everything, but the execution was a little wonky.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I did listen to uh, Tamma's Island last week. Tamma was finally back on the show and— Kind of talking about the situation With Hickaleo and saying you know hey I'm not I'm not mad at him uh, You know we all have to go our own path You know he can, he can go ahead and, and do the bull club Thing but uh, You know if we ever have to come face to face Of course I'm I'm, I'm going to whoop that ass And so uh, You know kind of interesting there, there hasn't really been Like this whole you know Back and forth like smack talk they seem to be Okay at least for now of him being a bull club So I don't know where this whole story is going to go
1: yeah, um,
2: really interesting to see. I'm not sure either, actually. Uh, then uh, Maserati asked us: Is Rocky the mole in chaos, bro? At
1: this point, I think there's. I think most people that go in there probably are moles. Like there is no allegiance. Everybody that's in there is probably like spreading all the gossip to it, all their buddies on the outside. Like I think it's a group full of moles. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and what we'll talk about uh, super juniors here in a second. But Robbie Eagles asking about Utah. He's like, "Is he chaos? Is he representing chaos? Uh, Blackpool? Like, what is he like? Is he in our group or not?" <laughs> so it seems like the chaos members don't even know who exactly is in the group or not. Is Yo still part of chaos? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think so.
1: Yes. Anybody <laughs> could be. Literally.
2: Uh, the Briscoe is still in there, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, so a big main event here For the IWGP United States heavyweight title Four-way match Rock hard Juice Robinson He defeats Hiroshi Tanahashi John Moxley and Will Ospreay To become the new And three-time IWGP US heavyweight champion
1: You know, um, once this match started playing out, it really did feel to a certain extent like the Juice Robinson show. Um, That's not to say that everybody here didn't have a part or, you know, got an opportunity to shine and had various stories. That, That was all prevalent and was here. But what I noticed was just the whole time the match was going on, it felt like on so many levels, the camera work the layout of the match the pacing it all seemed to just favor juice robinson to a certain extent and then um kind of thinking about the history here and you look at you know hiroshi tanahashi sort of like represents to him like hontai his past as well as like the shadow of the guy that saved new japan that's always kind of been over him and then you also kind of consider John Moxley, this like arch rival who right when Juice was sort of cascading to, to this new run, John Moxley knocked him down a peg, came and embarrassed him and kind of knocked him down to a point where he never really did recover and sort of was that impetus for his deep push. And then in the meantime, while all that was going on, you look at Will Ospreay, his ascension, a guy that was, you know, junior to him, and has kind of lapped him, surpassed him, you know, won the new Japan Cup, won the world title. And so all these characters kind of represented different things to Juice. And then sort of seeing Juice come out with the new colors, with the new music, the new attitude, new finisher, you know, new nickname. And um, you know, I thought it was pretty compelling. I thought the 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 actual ring work was really great. Um, very wild, you know. Um, These guys were all over the place, you know, doing different things, and then um, also really just enjoyed the kind of side story that was continuing on between John Moxley and Will Ospreay that was fully on display all throughout the match as well.
2: Yeah, also the side story of John Moxley and Tanahashi. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mox Mox has been calling out Tanahashi for almost a a year now. They finally meet face to face in the ring. Crowd pop big for their interactions. Um, The Ace. You know, showed Mox his death match side, got, got the table out, did the, the big high fly flow to Mox on the outside through the table, which took those two guys uh out of the match, leaving uh Juice and Osprey as the last two guys um, in the match. And um, Juice, you know, he hit his uh his new finish on Osprey. Osprey got his foot underneath the ropes during the count. Ref didn't see it. And Juice Robinson is our, our new U.S. champ.
1: Yes. Um, so, I mean, they you, you guys speculated last week that they might continue the story of them um, screwing Will Ospreay. Um, I didn't consider, you know, my whole thing last week was, who I kind of guaranteed whoever wins should beat Tanahashi to, like, firm things up. Really, like, make it, like, a solidified thing. And that's the way I saw it they went opposite way and they kind of had um Osprey take the loss but in a, another controversial fashion which I think um on a certain level does make sense you kind of look at what's been going on with that story and this this is a great way to continue it I sort of thought they would try to continue that story without actually making Osprey take the pinfall um my concern was that if he did take the pinfall and they did it this way it would sort of devalue the win in some light but it didn't come off that way and i i feel like juice still got over and they were still able to implement their storyline one thing that really helped was post match juice robinson got up and kind of scathing promo um, i thought it was a little bit here and there sort of all over the place but it was very effective at getting heat from the live crowd especially the part where he was like i beat not only will osprey not only john Moxley." Not only Hiroshi Tanahashi, but all three at the same time. And like the whole crowd booed that. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. So I like that. You know, he didn't say, you know why I turned? Because of you fans. You know, he was yeah. like, he did the he did the Y2J, that, I beat Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Rocket in the same night. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that was a good promo there by Zeus at the end. Getting a lot of heat uh, two Sweeting with the Bull Club team. So Bull Club won all their matches this night. They add another championship to the group. They're you know riding a big wave of momentum going into Dominion in June where Jay White will be challenging Okada. You'll have Carl uh, Anderson challenging Tonga for the never open way title. Uh, Ishimori will defend the junior title. You'll have Chase and Great O'Con defending the or Chase and um, defending the tag titles against O'Con and Cobb in a rematch for tag titles. So Bull Club big focus right now. in New Japan have a ton of title matches coming up to Minion, and they're they're riding a wave of momentum right now.
1: The sun shines on the Bull Club.
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, it did come out that Juice has uh, signed a contract extension with New Japan. He said in a Sports Illustrated interview uh, last week that his new contract goes to 2023. So it seems like kind of the typical New Japan structure. He, he signed like another you know one-year deal, and we'll have uh, one more year of Chiefs Robinson.
1: Yeah. A couple other things I wanted to point out about this match. Um, Tanahashi looked extremely rough in this match. I mean, really, really rough really rough i mean hats off to the guy you could tell he was still in it to put on a show i mean he didn't hold back by any means but like you could tell not just by his physique but his movements like he he was moving uh, a tad bit slower than everybody else he really struggled on several occasions to get to the top rope uh some of his body presses like weren't even making it all the way like um, he did still do a high fly float through a table on the outside, which, which, was, which was nuts, <laughs> fucking nuts. but this is the thing I'm talking about where like with him, I don't know what to expect. You know, there's times where he looks like this. And then I think, oh man, he's really hurting. And then he has that Ishii match where he looks like his old self and he looks crisp and he goes out there and has a, a banger. And then, you know, I I don't know if there enough time passed, maybe the travel. Who knows if he's got some sort of, like, uh, lagging injury or something like that. I don't know. But he looked, out of everyone in this group, really rough this night. Uh, But uh, he still went out there and did his best. It didn't didn't drag the quality of the match down by any means. But I could just tell. I was like, damn, like, it, it hurts to kind of see him moving like that. Um, and then the thing with Osprey and Moxley, they had so many really kind of elaborate reversal spots all over this match between the two of them. And one of the big stories was that like Osprey couldn't get over on John Moxley. Like John Moxley was able to out wrestle him and outsmart him almost every and get the better of him in almost every single exchange they had. And a lot of them were really incredible, like wrestling sequences, but the, the, truly awesome part was what set up the vi- the win for juice was where moxley hit him, like was able to counter out of the stormbreaker hit him with the PAL driver hit him with multiple uh paradigm shift slash uh death riders and then when he kicked out of the death rider this time playing off of what occurred at during the chicago match he put him in the bully choke and like almost almost had him completely choked out you know, and then Tanahashi and High Fly flowed them while they're in that move. That was awesome. There's yeah. just a lot of great stuff here.
2: Yeah, I really love the callback to the Windy City uh, finish of the pay-per-view where, yeah, he immediately goes into the bulldog choke. And, yeah, it seems like Mox is going to win. But like you mentioned, yeah, Tanahashi hits the High Fly flow to break it up. And then the crazy spot of doing the High Fly flow to the outside through the table, which took him and Mox. And, that was, and it was not, a, you know, American table. It was a strong-style table. And... <laughs> Dude, Tanahashi crushed Mox on that thing. That table exploded. Um, so that was a cool spot. And, yeah, it led to the finish. Like I mentioned, she was hitting his new, um, you know, spin-out reverse Death Valley bomb-looking thing. Uh, Pancake. Yeah, pancake-like maneuver. He hit a low blow, too. He hit a low blow, then hit his new finish. And yeah. then uh, pinned Osprey. Like we mentioned, Ospreay had his foot underneath the rope, which should have been a rope break and should have broke the count. But ref didn't lot, see it.
1: A lot of people abusing the ref on this show. Not even inadvertently, just people pushing Jeremy around.
2: (laughs) Yeah, dude, Jeremy needs to stand up for himself and not, you know, let these guys push him around.
1: Yeah, he needs to go watch, uh, you know, uh, like Tommy Young and stuff like that.
2: (laughs) He needs to watch uh, Earl Hebner when he would, like, kick the the, the, uh, guy's hands off the ropes. Yep. Uh, So, yeah, so good chill here. A few questions here. Uh, Less Commission 7252 says, with the Osprey storyline continuing at Capital Collision, What do you guys think it will lead to? The chance of him going to the G1 finals if he's in the G1 this year or something bigger than that?
1: I haven't given too much consideration. I'm sort of just enjoying watching it play out. But the G1 is just around the corner, and you have to imagine that whatever they're doing with this story, whether they they plan to resolve it, turn from it, and move on to something else, or you know kind of conclude it one way or the other like it's all going to be in play during the g1 for sure
2: yeah i have no idea where they're going with this whole storyline i think eventually at some point we're going to end up with osprey as champion again especially since his reign got uh cut short um so i don't know when that will happen but i think this will all kind of build up to that point but i'm enjoying the story just kind of seeing where it's going to go
0: at parker our purpose is simple.
2: Um, So that wraps it up for our coverage of Capital Collision. Let's move on now to Best of the Super Junior 29. And uh, last week there was a uh, press conference that happened with all the competitors before the action started. We had a question here from at MarkNado1990. Did you watch the press conference? Who was the best and worst dress? And what do you think of Despy and Doki's interaction?
1: Ooh, um, yes, I did watch it. As far as best dressed, I gotta say, ELP man
2: mm.
1: came out clean. Um, as far as worst dressed, I don't know. There were some, there were some, there were some getups that were like, you know what? I, I'll just say, it. people like Clark Connors' outfit. That shit was
2: horrible. <laughs> you're not digging. You're not digging the, the cowboy outfit. Listen, man, if you want, if you don't want people to think that you're
1: Hangman Adam Page, don't be dressing like Hangman Adam Page (laughs) at a press conference. (laughs) I I, I
2: I ain't never seen Hangman wear a cowboy hat, though.
1: No, you know what's funny was like, I thought it was a great outfit for a press conference in kayfabe. But like in real everyday life, the way that actual humans like interact (laughs) and dress, it was not good at all. Um, I also didn't like Alex Zane. Oh, I didn't like Alex Zane's outfit.
2: The all the all red suit.
1: That was horrible. Um, Ace Austin's outfit was awful as well. The the In fact, almost across the board, even the guys that were like dressed well, there was there was always just kind of something off. I saw a picture of all of them on the podium, you know, standing side by side. And I just like thought to myself, like, this looks like a. You know, like a Wish.com version of the G one picture that we usually get. Like, this
2: is not the same. <laughs> uh, I can't remember exactly what Yo was wearing, but I remember at the time it it looking pretty. He wore something weak. He yeah, wore something. just like a
1: black shirt.
2: Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah, and him dropping you know the the one liner in his uh speech, just you know, I would I will do my best or something like that, and then.
1: <laughs> yeah, bro. When he did that, I was like, "Fuck off, bro." <laughs>
2: Uh, But yeah, Despy and Doki had a great interaction here. You know, Despy was pretty much, uh, he was running down Doki and talking about how he, you know, he ate the loss in their their tag match from Takatachi Mania and how, uh, you know, Despy's been around for a couple years now and really hasn't done anything. And just kind of, you know, calling him, you know, a little pup uh, and just kind of really running him down.
1: Yeah, he was really disrespectful to Doki and then Doki got up in his face and they were, looked like they were about to fight right on stage and then, you know, ELP is like, punch him, Doki.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. So, uh, that that Doki Despy match is going to be fire when it happens.
1: That's the match I'm most looking forward to in the tournament right now, um, just because of the the angle itself.
2: Yeah, and I had a question here from MJSPR in the Best of Super Junior press conference. Clark Connors and Ace Austin both mentioned that neither of them are featured in semi-main or main events for the whole tournament. Give us your hot takes on main event snubs.
1: Well, unfortunately we don't have, uh, you know, Chris Samsa here to like give us the stats about who hypothetically has ever like gone to a final without being in main events. I'm going to guess there's a good chance it's happened before, but um, you know, I can't think of anybody that comes to mind specifically uh, off the top of my head. That being said, though, we have seen situations like that in the G1, you know? Um, So it's not totally out of the question. Uh, As far as Clark Connors and Ace Austin, both being out of the main events. I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess they probably should have, like been given an opportunity to work a main event but there seems to be i mean we've seen guys like ach and jonathan gresham and some other like foreign guidance that get brought into this tournament and they fit that middle even like uh further back like robbie eagles before his push you know those types of guys would work the middle of the card always have, like, sub-15-minute matches, always get opportunities to shine and have good matches, and you kind of make the most of it that you possibly can, you know? So, I mean, it's not like just because they're not in the main event they don't have the opportunity to go out there and impress and make a name for themselves. Like, are they going to have that super epic, you know, career-making junior match? Maybe not. But are they going to be able to out, go out there and, like, really turn some heads and, and have a, you know, a great match on that, like, mid-card level during the tournament and show their body of work and, you know, maybe get people to reconsider their slotment uh, slotment within the, the tournament? Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah, you look at it, um, you know, Clark Connors hasn't been in Japan since probably early 2020, right before the pandemic. Uh, you don't know if the fan base has been keeping up with strong or what's been going on with the L.A. Dojo guys um, So you're not, you're not going to hedge your bets on him in big semi main events right now I think he needs to reestablish himself with the Japanese audience and just kind of show them, you know, his new um, You know gimmick because last time he was there he was a young lion Um, And then you have uh, Ace Austin, who is an Impact representative, and it's the first time in quite some time that Impact has been represented in Best of a Super Junior. And I know that there has been more Impact content on NJPW World in the uh, last year since New Japan and Impact have been working together. Uh, But, again, you don't know how many of the Japanese fan bases are are watching those videos or watching the Ace Austin matches. So, again, another kind of unknown commodity. And like you mentioned, I I think um, sometimes it's good to be in that middle of the card position. uh, Because if you outshine the main event and semi-main event um, in that mid-card position, then you're, you're bringing eyes to you and... If you can steal a show in the mid-card, that, that's a really good position that you're setting yourself up for. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's talk about the tournament here. So we had uh, night one of the A Block kickoff on your birthday on Sunday, May 15th. Uh, we had some multi-mans here to open up the show. We had the Flying Tiger team of Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask teaming up with Tenzon and Master Wato. They defeated the team of Kosei Vegeta, Rehoy Oiwa, Wheeler Utah and Yuto Nakashima. Then we had the LIJ team of Bushi and Shingo defeating Dick Togo and El Fantasmo. Then we had El Lindeman, Jado, and Teton defeating Doki, El Desperado, and Taka Michinoku, which brought us to the first block match of the evening with the um, Nothing
1: major about these undercurrents, but the one thing I wanted to say is it's very interesting to see who of these guys, especially, like, the newer outsiders, who they're getting, like, teamed up with during the tournament or during the undercard tags. You know what I mean? It's kind of a, some, some, like, um, combinations I wasn't quite expecting, you know?
2: Yeah, you know, a guy like Wheeler Utah, people were kind of questioning who he's going to team with. He's teaming here with uh, Young Lions. You have Linda Menos teaming with this, this random team of Jado and Teton. Um, right And you got House of Torture kind of coming together Back in the fall Bull Club with Togo teaming with ELP So A lot, a lot of interesting uh, mix-ups here In this uh, opening here of the card uh, So first block match with the two aforementioned guys Who were uh, complaining about main events Ace Austin and Clark Connors So the Impact X Division champion Ace Austin Did defeat the Wild Rhino Clark Connors here In the uh, first block match of the evening Ace awesome Austin getting his two points, beating Clark in nine minutes, 51 seconds.
1: Yeah, um, you know, hypothetically, anybody that beats, and we'll say this again and again during these reviews, but anybody that beats these champions hypothetically has a claim to a potential title shot, so that's always uh, something to look out for. Um, Unfortunately here, um, Clark Connors isn't one of those guys. He was beaten by Ace Austin. I thought that both of them went out there and made the most – that they possibly could have in a sub 10 minute opener round match. Um, And I thought that they worked really hard, really fast, really well. For me, this was the match of the night for the whole uh, card. It wasn't necessarily something that I'd say you need to go out of your way and watch. I didn't think anything on this first night was, um, you know, recommend worthy necessarily. Although I did think it was a good show and an easy sort of just breeze through opener might not be what I was expecting for first night of super juniors but I thought Ace Austin Clark Connors both really impressed and they both got me pretty excited to see what they're able to do with the rest of this uh, roster guys that we've never seen wrestle before
2: yeah I totally agree with you I agree this was the, the match of the night I thought both guys uh worked really hard looked really good here uh, pretty much story of the match just both guys Just really aiming to go for their finishers um, Clark going for the trophy kill power bomb. Ace also looking for His uh, fold neck breaker And uh, see Clark kind of using his power Game to get advantages over Ace uh, throughout the Majority of the match but then Ace also want to use his speed to kind of Come back and uh, towards the End here Ace was able to Get out of the trophy kill and Hit his uh, Fold neck breaker and get it's the uh, big win here, and like I said, Ace Austin—he's up now. He's got two points, X Division champ. And I mean, Clark Connor was a, was a possible guy that could have beat him, and you could—you could have done an X Division match in the U.S. with Connors versus Ace Austin. But Ace Austin got the the win here and um, built up momentum here, going on in the tournament.
1: Not not going to be a fan of the laminated card finger spot. I never have liked that, and. You know, I think it's one of those things where just if you're watching ASOS and you're probably gonna have to endure that spot seems to be one of his key things.
2: Yeah, him and his uh gambit cosplay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then at then least
1: he, he doesn't mean, at least he doesn't talk like he's from the bayou. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that would be pretty funny.
1: <laughs> it actually that might make him a better character. Right. <laughs> he just went full in on the gambit.
2: Yeah. Uh, the next block match, we had The Sauce, Alex Zane defeat Yoshinobu Kanemaru, 11 minutes and 31 seconds.
3: Yeah,
1: so I mean, you know, Kanemaru, he's a guy that has notoriously um, spoiled people in this tournament and found uh, different game plans and methodologies to, you know, undo people's, uh, you know, whatever it is that they intend to do in these tournament matches and he kind of put that at play here and really targeted alexane's legs and sort of tried to ground him but didn't matter alexane is here to fly and fly he did did (laughs) his flips he did his dives uh you know one thing i'm really glad about not just that we have the two brackets and not just that we have you know a full roster with outsiders but they got rid of the barricades which is something that's been missing from super junior so these guys really were able to fly um now this match wasn't it told a good story it wasn't blow away or anything but i will say this for me Alexander in this match gave the performance of the night and got over the most with the crowd he even was getting chants from the the audience which for a guy that has never competed in japan whatsoever was a little bit surprising um you know, I've definitely had criticisms of, of Alex Zane from a certain level when it comes to timing, when it comes to fluidity, um, crispness, things like that, even just some of the fundamentals of wrestling. I think these are all things that he can improve on, but there's no denying from an athletic standpoint, he is a gifted, gifted individual. He really can do some incredible aerial type wrestling. And that was on full display here. Mark my words, by the time this tournament is over, Alex Zane's going to be the standout guy from A Block, like the guy that makes a name for himself in this tournament, because he's just fucking going for it. And I know other guys are are wrestling hard, but like he is impressing for sure. And those flips are going to get over.
2: Yeah, this was like a essentially just the, you know, Alex Zane highlight reel. Um, he got to do a lot of his cool spots, you know, that jumping, you know, flipping uh, hurricane run off the top that he does, a lot of his dives. Um, and, you know, I thought he did a good job of selling the knee in between, doing a lot of that stuff with all the models working the knee, going for the figure four leg lock, going for a submission here. Um, but kind of fighting through that knee injury and then doing all his uh cool uh flipping uh maneuvers here like you said I think he's going to get over as well we've seen guys like Osprey and ricochet that come in do the cool flips and get over really easy uh, with the uh, Japanese crowd and uh saying he got the winner he hit his uh the Baja blast followed by the cinnamon twist which is a uh, spiral tap maneuver and got the uh, big win over here on Kanamaru picks up his uh, first two points of the tournament Um we had a question here from MJ PR is Alex Zane, just a glowed up Bobby fish.
1: <laughs> that's pretty funny. I mean, the only thing that's similar between the two of them is bad facial hair. And, uh, you know, they're both older wrestlers, but other than that, I think the comparisons are a few and far between.
2: Yeah. The comparisons kind of stopped there with the mustache. <laughs> Uh, so next matchup here, we had the New Japan debut of Francisco Akira. He was accompanied by his uh, United Empire stablemate TJP, and Akira he defeated Show at eleven minutes and forty nine seconds.
1: Um, yeah, this was you know um, a match that could have potentially been really outstanding. Um, it wasn't bad. It was just. A show story match, you know, like, you know, show jumped Francesco Akira early and then took him to the outside and they're brawling all over the arena. They kept teasing a bunch of count out victories. And, you know, at one point show grabbed the, uh, the wrench and, um, luckily TJP was able to kind of intervene, even though it's sort of in the MO of United Empire, not to really interfere in each other's matches, but just kind of provide moral support. But, In that case, it it was starting to get egregious. So TJP did step in. But, um, you know, ultimately, all of the, you know, bag of tricks that that show has, he he wasn't able to utilize all of them to get the best of Francesco Akira. Once they got in the ring and things started going and Francesco Akira started rolling, he he sort of played babyface underdog, which is kind of interesting, considering that he is with United Empire and United Empire is full of heels he to me yeah he did some heel mannerisms and stuff but he almost exclusively wrestled as a babyface underdog style wrestler which kind of makes me question if that's going to be a storyline and something that's at play like he is in a heel group but he himself is an underdog um or if it's more just like that's how he's used to wrestling and hasn't really quite broken out of the mold or maybe it's just the fact that it was show and show you know kind of is higher on the totem pole when it comes to healed them. and so he kind of became a de facto baby face for that match and we'll see the shift here as he moves into another you know match with someone like say yo or something like that i don't know but uh i did think that was interesting
2: yeah, I did not notice that also as well. And I know you mentioned Alex Zane being a guy who looked really good and it's going to get over, but I think Akira looked really good in this match. And I know it was kind of bogged down with the show shenanigans, but I thought when uh, Akira was on offense, his moves looked really crisp. He did a lot of cool stuff. And I think when he has the opportunity to wrestle better guys and, and in better positions, I think he's really going to show out. I, I think by the end of the tournament, I think a lot of people are going to be talking about him uh, as well, and towards the end here, he was able, like you mentioned, TJP grabbed the wrench. Show wasn't able to use it. Then Akira hit a, a suplex, followed up with his uh, double knees with the back of the head, which I think he calls the fireball, and he gets his big win, debut win in New Japan, beats an established guy like Show, and so uh, Akira off to a good start here. Uh, we did have a question here from Mark Nato, nineteen ninety. What do you think of Francisco Akira? It seems like he'll be a good fit for the division. Also of him and TJP second each other. Do you think they'll make a good pair to win junior tag belts?
1: Um, Yeah, I think that they could be, uh, you know, candidates to win that. Why not? I mean, almost everybody and their brother gets those titles (laughs) and they need a, a, another strong, established uh, junior tag team. And, you know, that, that's a goal that United Empire hasn't gotten before. So sure, why not? I do like the fact that they're seconding one another during the tournament, which could be a strong sign that they do have intentions of them um, doing a junior title run. Um, that would also kind of be bolstered by the promo that TJP cut during uh, the press conference, kind of singling out Watto, talking about how he's going to win you know, the, the titles from him and call him the fucking Smurf. So, you know, that, that might be a little bit of a tip up, you know, a tip of the hat to us to let us know what's going on there. Yeah. Um, As far as Francesco Akira, I mean, we've seen his praises on the show already. So not surprised that he was impressive on this first night. Um, I did see people criticizing the finish, the finisher he has. And I myself, I'm not sure that I'm sold on it either. Uh, so just
2: that, yet. So that gift going on, that wasn't his finisher. That was just one of his, like, setup moves.
1: Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. You know what's funny? It's like, I didn't remember that being his finish, but I saw so many people like, show that, that I was like, oh, I guess that's his finish. It's sort of a weird, convoluted weak finish. If that's just one of his, like, uh, signature moves, it's probably fine.
2: Yeah, it's kind of a crazy spinning neck break looking thing. I mean, I thought it looked cool. Um, it's cool, but it-
1: no, he's just taking a flip <laughs> them it's, it's whatever. It just seems like, I don't know, the way that the other guy lands, I feel like, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's unnecessary for them to do the whole flip. In this case, I think the flip is unnecessary. I feel like it'd be a more impactful move if he just dropped them straight down and just did like a
2: came straight down with
1: them. I don't know.
2: I don't know. I think it looks cool.
1: <laughs> it looks cool, but not everyone's going to be able to do it.
2: Yeah <laughs>
1: It's like one of those moves Where it's like very specific To certain guys That can maybe do it with him I don't
2: know Right He's not doing that on Tiger Mask <laughs> Exactly <laughs> uh, So semi main event here In the A block We have the ticking time bomb Hiromu Takahashi Defeat Ritsuke Taguchi 10 minutes and 42 seconds This man Taguchi Came out in a press conference And said he was going to wrestle serious No more but stuff and this man is a liar. He's a liar. He's just flat out a liar.
1: Like he didn't even like try to pretend like he wasn't going to actually do it. Like literally within seconds of the match starting, he did a flying hip attack. Um, yeah, he's a fucking liar.
2: Yeah, dude, so Yeah, As soon as the bell rings, first thing he does, hip attack. I was like, come on. <laughs> it's like, clearly we are we're not getting big match to Gucci here. We're, we're, we're getting goofy butt stuff to Gucci. And this match, it was just kind of goofy, you know These guys chasing each other around the ring, back and forth uh, Taguchi trying to, you know, do his hip attacks and all his stuff And uh, I mean, it was fine for what it was um, uh, Hiromu gets to win with the uh, Hiromu roll um, But, you know, it's a semi-main event It's Hiromu, it's Taguchi I expected a little bit more action here A little bit, you know, a match that really get you excited for best super juniors and we we didn't get that here
1: yeah i saw some reports on twitter before i saw this match that this was the match of the night and you know uh, kind of a sleeper and i remember them having some very good matches in the past even just some of the recent super juniors so i was like okay yeah i'm in for this um and i was disappointed because there was no compelling story with Teguchi. It wasn't him being serious, you know, it's him just being a goofball. And then, you know, him and Hiromu, they had a fine match. Hiromu hit him with his special roll up that he kind of started winning matches with going back to last year's super juniors back in like November, December. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was 10 minutes. It was in egregious, but it wasn't anything standout.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yes, whatever.
1: <laughs> I, I I told Jeremy off the air. I'm not calling this tournament right now. I'm not calling it best of the super juniors. It's just super juniors right now. Yeah, uh, I, I I don't want to lie to you guys and say this is the best of because it's so far not. Now yeah. if, if something changes, they might get that B back.
2: Yeah, you know I'm, I got my star ratings thread going on my Twitter, and uh, Rich uh, saw. It. He's like, where, where the fours at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what
1: I would like to know.
2: <laughs> like, I, definitely not in the A block uh, so far. Well, there's a lot of time left, so yeah. Uh, we had a question from Les Commission Seven Two Five Two. So, should Taguchi equip the Stink Face as one of his moves? No. I mean, I think he had kind of already did that with uh, Kanemaru at uh, Don'taku.
1: He's done variants of that throughout the years.
2: But, yeah, I'd be good with uh, less butt stuff uh, from Gucci. I'm not into butt stuff, bro. Me either. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, uh, main event here, we had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, the Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori. He defeats Yo 16 minutes and 15 seconds
1: a lot of people are probably going to come out and say that this was their match of the night because it was the longest match of the night. And it was probably, I would say better than the majority of what occurred on this evening, but I'm still going to rate the 10 minute opener over this. If that's any, you know, if that tells you anything, Um, yo, I don't know what to think, man. I mean, maybe they're doing another story like they did last year with him starting off slow and then redeeming yada yada maybe they're not maybe they're going to swerve off of that and tell some other story the reality is i have no interest in whatever that story is at this current time i i'm not invested in it in the slightest and ishimori is champion i really don't i love ishimori i think he is like an incredible, incredible generational type of talent. But I just, I have no interest in him as the champion. I felt like this match had very little heat going into it. And, um, yeah, I mean, yo getting beat again. I don't know. It didn't do much for me, man.
2: Yeah. I mean, I didn't really want to see yo beat Ishimori after losing to Romu. But at the same time, I I felt like, well, maybe yo needs to win. Um, Yeah, I just have no no excitement No, really, I'm just kind of indifferent To Yo, like I don't really care when he's on the screen And I don't really want to say Like I said, I don't want to see this kind of comeback Story and, you know, the game This big main event here And, you know, I, I thought it was good For what it was um, Ishimori does a great job of working Over the arm and doing a lot of, You know, La Mysticas and setting up Stuff for the bone lock, which he used to, to tap out Yo here, but when it comes to super juniors, and we get to the main event of the card, I'm expecting a really great matchup, and we didn't get that here. Uh, it was a good matchup; it was not great. And I think for super juniors, we need to start seeing more, you know, great. I know it's only we only had two nights thus far, uh, but look, looking yes, at-
1: but the first two nights are usually two of the best nights of the whole tournament, right. typically
2: speaking. Yeah. yeah. Usually they, they start off really hot. Um, and then the middle kind of cools down a little bit and then picks back up towards the middle. But yeah, we're starting off kind of, kind of cold here with uh a block on uh night one.
1: Some people might call it mid yeah. starting off mid.
2: It did. It, yeah. It did start off kind of mid. I mean, again, I'll see if we, we had some crowds that could cheer that would, that would help things a little bit, but, uh, uh, and I think Kevin Kelly almost Kind of pointed it out On night two commentary where he was like A lot of these guys wrestled uh, forget, In fact I forget how, Exactly how he said it but he said something like these guys Wrestled very safely like nobody On night one really kind of went for the Fences and kind of gave their all Like they are all kind of right. cautious In how they were Wrestling each other and that's what it kind of Felt like even though I feel like Kevin's kind of covering up kayfabe like these guys they, they don't know each other they're trying to really, you know, study each other and be very methodical, where in essence it did feel like, you know, these guys didn't want to go all out on this first night.
1: Yeah, makes sense from a kayfabe perspective. I get it.
2: Yeah. Uh, we had a question here, MJ, this PR. Whose existence is sadder, pre-junior tag champ Watto or modern-day yo?
1: Yo, because Watto was never great. Yo was great, <laughs> and he no longer is.
2: Yeah, I mean, for pre tag Watto, there was there was always room for improvement, and he was starting off at the very bottom. there was hope for him to come up. Modern day Yo, it, it, it's sad. This man was could have potentially been a star. He was a part of a star tag team. Uh, you know, he's one. Bro, of the-
1: you're supposed to be one of the greatest all time junior tag team wrestlers that has ever lived. What the fuck happened to you, bro?
2: Yeah, this was a, a young prospect, you know, dojo student, uh, supposed to be this breakout star. When the t- the tag team broke up, and
1: I could I could imagine like in one of those like you know corny like drama movies where like he's like this washed up wrestler, and someone's like like a little kid will be like, "Aren't you yo of Roppongi 3K?" <laughs> and he'll look at him, he'll be like, "I used to be kid. I used to be." And
2: then just, like, walk away. Be <laughs> <laughs> like, Roppongi3k, I haven't heard that name in quite a while. <laughs> oh, that, that's a name I haven't heard in years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, so that caps off night one of uh, Super Juniors. Pretty much all the, you know, first-time entries got uh, wins here, Ace Austin, Alex Zane, Francisco Akira getting up two points, and then Hiromu, Kaiji Shimori getting their two points as well. Uh, so then we move on to the first night of B-Block, night two overall, which happened uh, this morning, May 17th, uh, opening up the show for tag matches. We had Clark Connors teaming up with uh, Fujita and Oiwa to defeat Tenzan, Yo, and Nakashima. Then we had Ace Austin and Tiger Mask defeating Takamichi no and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. Bullet Club team of Dick Togo, Sho, and Taiji Ishimori. Defeating Alex Zane, Jato, and Riske Taguchi And again, nothing really uh, Coming from any of these multi-man matchups Just good little previews for The next night of A-block action So then we yep. had, Oh, Go ahead
3: No, you go ahead and take it
2: uh, So first uh, B-block match We had uh, Doki Our man, Doki Defeating L Lindeman and getting two points on the board from the get go.
1: Yeah, this was um, pretty shocking. Um, one of the interesting stories of the tournament: L Lindeman coming in as the reigning, defending G Rex Glate Openweight Champion, and he actually is competing to today de- or tomorrow morning. So by the time this um, show releases on five eighteen, he's returning to Glate to defend that title so if he drops that belt then he'll continue the rest of this tournament as the former champion or if he's successful in that defense then he'll continue throughout the tournament as the reigning champion but um one has to wonder you know taking a loss to a guy like Doki leading into a title defense isn't necessarily a good sign um you know this was uh I be- this was 11's first singles match in New Japan and you know he's a guy that um you know a lot of people have been curious about what the booking of him in the tournament would be like now it's only the first day it's the first match and I would say that this was probably the first really big surprise upset in the tournament and I, the tournament's always more fun and more interesting when you're when you have those here um you know there are no gimmies in this tournament as Kevin Kelly said there are no young Lions to to drop almost you know every single match throughout the tournament this time so even a guy like Doki is probably bound to pick up a few wins and this was one of them and kind of um reminiscent to the run he had in the tournament last year at the end of the year where he defeated Bushi on the first night to kind of kick off the tournament hot so Maybe we're seeing Doki go on a little bit of a run the first couple nights here in the tournament, which is very fun, very exciting. And um, I think that this was probably for me the second best match of the, the second night. I liked this match quite a bit. I thought these guys gelled really well, worked really hard, went out there, set a really good pace, and told a great story. And and had a lot of awesome counters, reversals, hard hitting spots. Like these guys rock. So.
2: Yeah, I thought this was a great way to kick off the night um, You know, for Lindeman, I think the booking is going to be very interesting Because losing to uh, Doki on, on night one Maybe he's not going to get As many points as people thought Or be, you know, people were mentioning you know Politics, is he going to be booked higher Or he's going to beat New Japan guys And straight out losing to Doki Who's, you know, on, on the lower End of the totem pole in New Japan right now uh, Might not be good for his future in this tournament. Uh, I
1: think it's I think that's a red herring. I think it's just one of those upsets in the early part of a tournament and um, I think it'll definitely be in play when we get to the tail end of the tournament. This might even be that thing that like when he's close and points to other guys that dokey loss is still going to be haunting him. Yeah, but uh, I don't think it means that like that he's necessarily not an important player in this block.
2: Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, good back-and-forth action here. Doki hitting his suplex De La Luna to uh, get the big win here over the G-Rex champ and get uh, two points on the board. Yeah. So then uh, following that, we had El Phantasmo defeating Bushi at 10 minutes and 43 seconds.
1: Yeah, this match was... um... Well, funny thing, uh, Phantasmo came out in uh, X-Pac-inspired, you know, tights. So that was cool. But um, this was one that I guess it shouldn't surprise me, but I didn't think that this was much of anything. I thought it was a very by-the-numbers style match. And when the finish came, it just kind of came, like, out of nowhere for me. I didn't feel like there was much heat to this match, much excitement, um, competently wrestled. And and then, you know, Fantasma hit him with the sudden death, hit him with the CR two and got him out of there.
2: Yeah, I say this was your gentleman's three. I mean, Phantasma was very uh entertaining in this matchup like he usually is, really getting in the crowd, you know, laughing and popping for him and he did all these big crazy, you know, lucha rope walk spots just to do the the back rake and you know, just being his, you know, ELP self and Uh, Just being a total douche like he normally is, but uh, it's very entertaining, very enjoyable, and like you mentioned, at the end hits the uh, sudden death off the um, what's Bucci's finisher, the the MX, and puts him away with the CR two.
1: During the press conference, he did say that he was going to win the tournament, and after he wins the tournament, enter into the G one as the champion. Now, uh, I don't know how high the chances are of that actually occurring. But, you know, if something like that did happen, that would be a huge shakeup and, like, a huge storyline. And I'm hoping that in this tournament they – I'm not saying do that specifically, but do something that is newsworthy and, you know, generates buzz out of this tournament. But uh, post-match, as he was walking back, Phantasma was like, i got big plans. He's, like, bigger than Kenny. He's, like, bigger than Jay. He's, like, bigger than – running the Bullet Club, bigger than Devitt. He's like, just wait and see. So I'm like, you know, people don't want to hear it, you know. But, like, I think ELP's, like, got Superstar written all over him, like, on a much higher level than just, you know, funny, comedy, snarky, you know, heel antagonist. I think that he's got a lot more to offer than just what we've seen so far.
2: So you're finally seeing the light on, on ELP.
1: I've always thought that ELP like had star potential. It's never been the character that was an issue for me. It's always been some of the like rudimentary, like basic. I still kind of don't like a lot of his match layouts. I- I'll be honest about that. But athletically, he's incredible. But um, what's won me over? It's not really his improved wrestling. It's the character work, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I-, I I do think that. I think the same kind of fan base that didn't like wacky cleaner is the same fan base that probably doesn't like (laughs) ELP and is not seeing like the money signs that are all over this guy. And they're there.
2: Yeah, definitely. And he keeps talking about wanting to be in the G one and, uh, like you mentioned, be a junior champ and going to the G one. And yeah, this year's G one is going to be interesting because, you know, we, we got, uh, outsiders are probably going to be a part of the tournament and, who knows, guys like ELP could be wanting to move up a weight class and get in the tournament, so it's going to be interesting to see whose spots get taken, who's going to be in the tournament, and if a guy like ELP can move up to heavyweight and get in there, that would be a ton of fresh matchups for the G1. So uh, moving on, we had the sniper of the skies and confirmed keeping a strong side listener, Robbie Eagles, defeating Wheeler Utah 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Wait,
1: why do you say he's a confirmed listener?
2: Because I, I got word that Robbie Eagles I- enjoys himself some kiss. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know what's funny is like um, Chris Bryan, who uh, used to do the, uh, what's it called? Groman Watch the Shit Show here, good friend of the show. He's been on the show. Uh, I I like he wrestled in his heyday back in Australia and, like, knows Robbie. I think they may have had Robbie on Grumman Watch the Shit, or maybe they were going to. It didn't end up happening. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I met Robbie at, like, a, a merch table couple back in New York when I was with Chris. But um, uh, nice guy, real nice guy. So
2: Yeah, uh um, front of the show, uh, Sir Sam, who's uh, in Australia, got to do an interview with uh, Eagles a while back at a, an indie show. And did, did uh, mention keeping a strong style and said that he he listens and enjoys the show. So,
1: mm. well, don't listen to the early episodes when I was hating on you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this guy hasn't done anything. You know what's going on? He's got this reputation. <laughs> and then and then he comes in and becomes like one of the like literally like best proven like workers of the gear division. Yeah, you know. So, um, how are you feeling about Robbie Eagles' new gear? I think I like it better
2: yeah. than. Yeah, I'm digging it. Uh, it Looks like a star to me. Uh, yeah, change up on the gear here, and I thought this was a really, really good matchup here between him and Utah. Uh, kind of a surprise here. I thought I thought Utah was going to start off strong and just a reel off wins, but Eagles gaining kind of a, a big upset win here. Getting a, a quick uh, roll up towards the end here for the great exchange and uh, pinning the Ring of Honor Pure Champion.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed this match. Uh, uh, like we've said, I don't think they went out there and had a blowaway, like banger sort of encounter, but it really was uh, something that set the like sort of the tone for what I'm guessing Wheeler Utah's. Uh, Super Juniors is going to look like and I feel like they're only starting to ramp up from here but uh they were really really crisp really just fluid uh a lot of the counter wrestling and we we already kind of knew that existed with Wheeler Utah, but like uh and obviously Robbie Eagles one of the best but they went out there and just like put together some incredible like chain grappling sequences submission counters the one i don't even know what to call it There was the one submission that uh that wheeler you to put robbie eagles in towards the tail end of the match which led to robbie beating him but prior to that like it it was like a standing
2: what he you in like at the tombstone position
1: yeah it was a tombstone position and then he he locked the legs into like a, a grapevine and was you know um I don't know what to call that move, but it was awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was awesome. And, yeah, I really enjoyed this match. And to me, it kind of felt like they purposely, like, left a little bit on the table and held back and didn't go all out here. So who knows? Maybe with Eagles pinning Utah, we can get a pure title match at Forbidden Door between Robbie Eagles and Utah or sometime on AW, uh programming. But I felt like if these guys had five more minutes and kept going at the pace they were going, like, we could have gotten something really, really great.
3: Well, the
1: other thing too, you know, everyone's talking about the outsiders coming in and maybe they forget, but it's been a while since Robbie's been in this company. I mean, his last appearance to my recollection was best super juniors last year, uh, at the tail end of that year. So, I mean, what, we're looking at like six, seven months. He hasn't even been in the company. He's kind of just been working, uh, Australian Indies and, and that sort of thing. So, um, this was sort of his opportunity to make a splash in the revitalized junior division, and from a kayfabe perspective, yes, Will is the ROH Pure Champion, yes, he's a AEW star, yada yada. Robbie Eagles is a former champion, you know, of the company. Right. So, from the kayfabe perspective, it makes all the sense in the world to me. I mean, um, not saying Will Utah couldn't have beaten him, but if you gave me the list of guys in this block that have a high likelihood of beating Wheeler Utah. Robbie Eagles is at the top of that list for sure in this block. And um besides that, we still don't know how they're going to book Wheeler Utah. You know, we speculated early on that he might get a very very strong push and very very strong points total, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a guarantee. I mean, who really knows?
2: Right. I think that's the interesting thing about the tournament this year is with all these outsiders and not knowing exactly how they're going to get booked and who's going to beat who it makes the tournament really excited because i was again thinking oh you know with this whole you know blackpool combat club push he's probably going to get that that moxley rub and run it run it up and go six straight kind of like mox did in the g1 but big surprise upset here uh with him going down the first night and so I think that, that kind of adds some more juice to Utah's matches in the future to see, all right, who's he actually going to beat, who's he going to lose to, and starts things off on a good foot for uh, Robbie Eagles. So looking forward to seeing more of those guys uh, in the tournament. So then in the semi-main event, we had the public enemy, TJP, accompanied with Francisco Akira. He defeated Master Watto, 12 minutes and 21 seconds.
3: on um.
1: Yes, I mean, (laughs) um, this was one where I I thought it was fine. You know, nothing really stood out to me too much in this match, to be quite frank. Um, I loved TJP's uh, promo during the press conference leading up to this match. And, I mean, everyone kept coming out there and thanking different people. And TJP was like, he was the most heelish of anybody during either press conference he was like i will give thanks to nobody because i don't need to give thanks to anybody <laughs> and he talked about how like there's no one on you know in the group that was on his level who would wrestled as long as him or done the things he'd done and he was like i mean i beat a guy named kota bushi and you can say that <laughs> <laughs> like didn't think so he's like i'm a former x division and cruiserweight champion anyone else here that can say that didn't think so <laughs> talked about how he was gonna start stealing everybody's masks uh you know on the stage like he stole mascara doradas so I thought he, he was really great and I'm I'm actually digging TJP's uh character work and then the aforementioned interaction with him and Watto calling him a smurf talk, talk, talk about how they're going to take his uh titles and that seemed to be the mission here and you know TJP beat Watto got him to tap out I didn't see that part coming necessarily but uh yeah I mean I didn't think the match was stand out by any means but they're clearly building in my opinion something I think between the United Empire guys and and six or nine
2: yeah I actually like this match um quite a bit I felt like it was really fast paced I felt like TjP was the perfect guy. To work with Wato with TJP's you know experience in Mexico And wrestling luchadors And with Watto's um, excursion being in uh, CMLL And I thought he made Wato look really good in this match And TJP's just so fluent And I thought the match just went really well uh, for Wato And he made Wato look good And he made himself look good And like you mentioned, get the big uh, submission victory here I thought they wrestled a pretty fast pace We had a really quick near fall right as the bell rang, because TJP had uh, jumped Watto at the gun, uh, but yeah, it was, it, to me, I thought it was a, a really fun matchup here, and again, I'm also digging, you know, TJP's heel character, and I think, you know, people, obviously, he, he says a lot of dumb stuff on Twitter, and people kind of take his, you know, the, the real life stuff, and we'll say he's a, a bad wrestler, but if you kind of forget everything that happens in real life, just focus on what's happening in the ring. Like this guy is a a great wrestler. He's so smooth and I'm really looking forward to see what else he's going to do in this tournament.
1: Um, I will say, because I I thought to myself, I'm not crazy here, right? I went and looked at the uh, cage match rating and I would say that cage match ratings tend to agree more with me than they do with you, but that doesn't mean you're wrong. It might literally just be one of those things where TJP's got haters Wato's got haters and then you got People like me who maybe I just I thought For a second I was like maybe I just tuned out During this match I don't know but um Yeah it's Not getting a lot of love online
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well uh, let's go to a match that is Getting a lot of love online The main event here for the B block the former champ El Desperado he defeats Teton 13 minutes and 45 seconds
1: Yes um you know, they pointed out during the uh, build-up to this match that Teton. They now they really haven't emphasized the fact that he is a champion in Mexico because, again, it's not really like those titles mean a whole lot over there, anyways. But the one thing that they did mention is that like Teton has been in this tournament quite a few times, but this time he's in it as a top guy from CMLL, and in the past he's sort of been like a. A mid card sort of act. And now he's up there with guys like Mystico and, you know, I don't know who else is doing uh,
2: Volador Jr.
1: Volador Jr. and Mystico. He's up there with those guys. <laughs> <so. laughs> Nebla Roja. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they really had an awesome match, him and Desperado. And uh, some of the things that you mentioned, how, um, you know, TJP can uh, kind of mesh well with people that have been on the, you know uh excursions to mexico obviously desperado's been on excursion to mexico and has worked that lucha style and i felt like him and Teton they just matched really well the the pace of the early parts and the tail end of this match was very very fast paced uh very high energy lots of dives lots of flips um easily at this point now we're only two nights in but easily at this point the match of the tournament so far uh the match of the night as well and i i dug this i just thought it was really fun really awesome the kind of thing that we need a lot more of in this year's super juniors um i went four on it so i thought it was just really great
2: yeah i also went uh four stars on it great main event here uh you had the mixing of you know Strike exchanges, you had all the creative lucha spots From Teton, Big Asai, Moonsault to the outside um, Great counters, um, Desperado working over the, the knee to set up the, the Pinche Loco And just uh, great back and forth uh, So you, you got your mix of high flying, you got your striking, you got your submission work um, It's a really good story uh, being told here But uh, Desperado Ends up getting the the win here. Uh, he even you know tore Teton's mask a little bit uh, throughout the match. Uh, but after the match, um, very Bay Facious, you know, shakes hands with Teton, helps him up. So uh, seems like you know Despy's leading a little bit more uh, Bay Face here.
1: Yeah, I mean, possibly. I think he's sort of more like a anti-hero type of figure. But you know, we've talked about that not just for him, but for Suzuki Goon as a whole, that they're sort of like heel-leaning tweeners, and um, you know, I feel like that's where that's where he's slotted at this point in time. It doesn't mean that you know, put up against say, like, Robbie Eagles, he isn't going to dip more into that heelish persona. I think that's still there, so.
2: Yeah. So, so far uh, like you mentioned, match of the tournament, uh, standout, definitely i will say go out of your way to check out this uh, Despi and uh, Teton match.
1: That's the only match so far that I would like truly recommend where I'm like, if you want to see something good, go out of your way, catch that. That one was pretty, especially if you're a fan of Lucha Libre, high flying wrestling, fast paced wrestling, hard hitting junior style. I mean, it had a little bit of everything.
2: Yeah. Some questions here. Uh, Rambo and slam Pig says who's early best of super junior performances. Most exceed expectations and whose have fallen short.
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think uh, I think Alexane stands out. I think he's done really well. Um, Doki for sure
3: mm-hmm.
1: is uh, another one that I think um, sort of stands out. And you know, I think Teton because Teton in the past has shown this kind of ability but has been very, like, inconsistent or even at times, like, kind of mid-ish, you know? I don't know how to describe
2: it. I think he used to to botch sometimes, too. and Yeah. So,
1: for me, just as far as, like, guys that have impressed so far, those would be my three. Um, As far as people that haven't really, like, impressed so far... I don't know. That's a tougher one because I feel, um, probably yo.
2: <laughs> I mean, that that's who I was thinking about.
1: Yo's like the only person, because I feel like most people are sort of meeting the
2: expectations that are
1: in front of them. And yo's the one guy who hasn't.
2: Yeah. Yo's definitely, uh, I know it's only been one night, but yo's definitely been slacking. So. You know, also just there's, there's still a lot more tournament to wrestle, and hopefully he uh, picks some things up here.
1: Um, I'd probably also say Bushi. <laughs> I,
2: don't, I don't, I don't know. I feel like Bushi meeting expectations so far.
1: Eh, I mean, if those are super low
2: expectations, then yeah. And, I mean, uh, dude, Bushi did exactly what we said last week in the preview. He's gonna come yeah. out for a really cool mask. Full suit, he's gonna go out there, do his Busharoonie, he's gonna try MX and he's gonna he, lose.
1: He's he's capable of more. So, you, know, <laughs> you can't just rest in your laurels of being the mid guy.
3: Uh
1: <laughs> I didn't think Watto's match was any I, I just didn't think Watto in that match was anything to that was that impressive. So I don't know. But uh, but the biggest name would be yo.
2: Yeah. Rambones also asked if you had to pick a junior to build a division around, not named Hiromu or El Esparado, who would you pick at this point? I once thought show, but I don't know anymore.
3: Um,
1: I don't know. I feel like you could. I, I know this sounds crazy, and I know like maybe this sounds like a Homer type answer, but I don't think it is. I think you could go with Doki.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think they've done a great job of kind of slowly ascending him and building him and earning the respect. And I think that's a cool kind of story you can do to eventually get him to the title.
1: I mean, like, there are definitely some drawbacks. I'm not denying that whatsoever. But as far as a guy that can wrestle that high-paced, high-action style that's very entertaining and has the durability to keep going... He's already kind of shown his ability to do that, Um, so the matches would be great. And he seemed like we've seen him wrestle as an underdog and be and get sympathy and get the crowd behind him, which is not something that's easy to do. Um, So I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like that question is more targeted towards like a domestic type star in this question. That's the way I'm interpreting it. You know, who is the new Japan guy, like the Japanese domestic star type type of guy we can build around. And right now, unless you're talking about like a a young lion, I don't really see it in this group except for him. And then obviously the name he mentioned show.
2: Yeah, I guess when I initially was thinking about this, I wasn't just um, thinking just domestic. So for me, I would say Robbie Eagles. Um, you know, in the past, you know, this, this division has been built around foreigners like Will Ospreay and Ricochet and Prince Devitt. Um, and Robbie Eagles is a guy who just has great matches all the time. I mean, he's, he's had one run so far as champ, but um, it, it was a short run. And I definitely think you can do a longer run with him. You can build a division around him and just have him have great matches with all these guys coming in, guys that are domestically. Um, I think he can kind of be a, a guy that can really spark some excitement for the division.
1: Yeah, uh, that's definitely, you know, I I think you bring up some great points there too. Mark Nato
2: 1990 asks, which block do you think has a better lineup of matches and competitors? I think New Japan has done a good job of spreading the stars across both blocks.
1: I would agree. I think that uh, I don't think that one block is very much overpowered over the other, but I, I'm pretty sure the B blocks, the better block.
2: Yeah, when I look at some of the lineups and look at some of the people in there and the, the potential matchups, like I agree with him. like The stars are kind of spread out on the, the top guys they're pushing, but some of the guys who have the, the better matchups and the potential for better matchups, I do feel lies in the B block, and we're going to see that as the uh, tournament plays out. Uh, he also asks, as the tournament goes on and there are 10 matches a night, do you think the congestion will impact match quality? Well, they have to use quick roll ups and Taguchi style silly matches to fit all matches in?
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, like, I, I wouldn't call it a concern because it's just one night. And we've seen nights where they've done um, all junior matches, like junior singles matches in the past. Although I think that those fields might have been a little bit smaller than this. So maybe not quite as many matches, but, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, At the same time, I think back to some of those nights like G124 and and you know where they went out there and they literally were having like five, six, seven, eight, nine, four-star matches in a night. And if given enough time and opportunity, that you know who who's to say they couldn't do that as well? So
2: yeah, I mean, I I think it's gonna be a lot of fun, and it seems like the first. I think the first few nights are going to be single block and then going forward, they're going to be combined nights. And so I think it's just going to be a lot of fun um, to get straight up singles matches and um, just all tournament matches and these guys going for it. And so I think they're going to be really fun shows. They're probably going to fight for some, maybe uh, show of the year candidates. And again, you're, you're probably to get some short matches. We've seen like um, guys like Kushida be upset in minutes in tournaments. We've seen, Um stuff like that in the past Like he mentioned like the gucci pulling roll up and stuff like that So some matches will probably Be quick if you're having a a 10 match card But i think when you get down To the last stretch of like four or five matches They're all probably gonna be very very good matches Uh so we do have some Upcoming shows do you want to do Predictions for any of these or you just want to run through The the lineups
1: Uh Um I would just say run through the lineups. I mean, at at this point, really, I personally, I'm not really tracking um, any predictions personally, Um, but I do have, like, you know, I think it's good to highlight the anticipated matches.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, Any predictions you have, by all means. I I didn't even do a bracket this year.
2: Yeah, I I did uh, fill one of the uh, ones that were floating out on the Reddit out just to see what Potential points could look like, but again, not not fully certain on on those just yet. But I'll get some thoughts here. So um, as you guys are listening to this show, uh, there's night three will be happening, uh, the second night of the A Block on May 18th. So we got a um, the tag matches: Tiger Mask and Nakashima versus Fujita and Oiwa Tenzan, Jato and Wato versus Dick Togo, ELP, and Gato; Robbie Eagles, Teton, and Wheeler Utah against Doki, Desperado, and Taka. And the tournament matches will have Yo versus Clark Connors, Kanamaru versus Ace Austin, Sho versus Alexane, Taguchi versus Taichi Ishimori. And the main event will be Hiromu Takahashi versus Francisco Akira.
1: Yeah, for me, the only, the only match on this night that really screams like, gotta see, stand out is that main event between Hiromu and uh, Francesco Akira.
2: Yeah, I think that's going to be a great main event. Uh, I think Akira is going to get to really show more of what he can do um, in, on this kind of playing field. And I think Hiromu is a perfect guy for him to match up against. So that should be a really fun matchup there. Then uh, moving on to night four on May 19th, we'll have Tenzan and Yo versus Taka and Kanamaru. Zane, Connors, Jado, and Taguchi versus Togo, ELP, Gato, and Sho. Ace, Austin, and Tiger Mask versus Hiromu and Chingo. Then the. Block matches will have Doki versus Wheeler Utah, Teton versus L. Lindemann, Bushi versus Robbie Eagles, ELP versus Master Wato, and TJP versus L. Desperado in the main event.
1: Yeah, and see, this is kind of what I was referring to where I said B block just for me, just feels a little bit fresher, a little bit stronger. Uh, On this night, there's three matches that have my attention. So Doki and Wheeler Utah stands out. Teton versus El Lindemann really stands out. And then that main event, uh, pretty much almost, for whatever reason, almost anything El uh, Desperado does on in this tournament is going to stand out for me, especially with him being in the main event. And him and TJP, I don't believe we've seen them wrestle in singles before.
2: Yeah, so, so yeah, first time uh, matchup here. That, that should be a lot of fun. Both of those guys have important matches on the last night. Of B block action So both of these guys are, are going to be In contention potentially So this is a very important match uh, As far as you know tiebreakers comes uh, Down the line But yeah should be a, a pretty fun night here So moving on to uh, Night 5 May 21st A block action so we'll have uh, Lindeman, Jato and Teton Against Togo, ELP and Gato Tenzan, Wato, And Tenzon, uh, Tenzon and Watto versus uh, Bushi and Shingo. Eagles, Tiger Mask, in Utah versus Doki, Desperado, and Taka. Show versus Clark Connors as the first A-block match. Then Deguchi versus Francisco Akira. Yoshinobu Kanamaru versus Yo. Harumi Takahashi versus Ace Austin in semi-main event. And then the main event, Taiji Ishimori versus Alex Zane.
1: Yeah, I've got a lot of interest in... Um... The semi main event and the main event there. Hiroma versus Ace Austin, very unique. You know, not sure what to expect there, but that sounds pretty fun and exciting. And then um, Zane and Ishimori, like that could be awesome.
2: Yeah, especially if Ishimori has his working boots on and really wants to go. Um, those, they, those those guys have a really high paced, fast paced matchup. Um, and yeah, Hiroma and Ace Austin could be a ton of fun as well then uh, back over to the B block on uh, May 6 or excuse me May 22nd night 6 of the tournament so we'll have uh, Tenzan, Tenzon, Jado and Deguchi and Yo versus Ace Austin, Alexane Clark Connors, Tiger Mask, Gato and Taiji Ishimori versus Dick Togo and Show, Takamichinoku and Yoshinobu Kanamaru versus Hiromu and Chingo. Then tournament matches we will have Robbie Eagles versus Doki, TJP versus L Lindeman, Bushi versus Master Wato. El Phantasmo versus Teton and El Desperado versus Wheeler, Utah.
1: Yeah, there's the, this this night rocks. Um, Eagles versus stokie we've seen that in the past. That was really good. TJP versus El Lineman is going to be awesome. ELP versus Teton, like that, that should rule. And then the main event, Despy and Utah. The only match on this uh, lineup that I'm not that high on is Bushi and Watto for obvious reasons. Everything else looks very compelling.
2: Yeah, I feel like they should have put Bushi and Watto as the opener and uh, shift some things around here. But, yeah, everything else should be a a ton of fun here. And then the last night happening before we record again, night seven, May 24th, our first uh, dual block night. God. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have opening uh, open it up with Francisco Akira versus Alex Zane, TJP versus Teton, Rizke Deguchi versus Clark Connors, Bushi versus Wheeler Utah, Yo versus Ace Austin, El Fantasma versus Doki, Robbie Eagles versus Master Wato, Yoshinobu Kanamaru versus Hiromu Takahashi. Semi main event, Taiji Ishimori versus Show And the main event, El Desperado versus El Lindemann. That
1: whole show looks awesome, just top to bottom. um, They did a great job with, you know, picking the right matches for this night. Um, I'm just concerned that it's the same day that we're recording. And I'm like, fuck, like, you know, five nights in a week plus, you know, the 10-match show. Taking place just before recorded. like that's heavy
2: Yeah it's going to be uh, a lot to watch This week and a lot to try and uh, stay up On But uh should be fun though um, A lot of great matches Up to come and yeah hopefully You know Rich asked for the fours at hopefully We do get some uh, fours uh, this Week with some of these uh, matchups coming up So uh, moving on I really don't have Anything here in the the news Section was there anything that you've uh, come Across that I might, I might've overlooked,
1: you know, I saw something, I, I, you know, I don't follow what's going on in all Japan, but I saw like a little bit of a hubbub about tiger mask being the next challenger for the uh, all Japan world junior heavyweight title. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, And they were all also referencing this, you know, the deal about Jake Lee trying to get into the G one and, you know, Some people thinking that that's a likelihood, so I don't know.
2: Hmm. That would be uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, other than that, I don't really have much news. It seems like most of what's been going on lately has been taking place, you know, in between the
2: ring. Yeah. Well, then we'll uh, jump to some questions here. We had some questions that were uh, held back from the last uh, couple weeks here, so we'll answer some of those here, and then we'll wrap up with uh, recommended and excursion match of the week. Uh, so Les commission 7252 has lots of questions here. Uh first uh since we are in the month of May, what grade would you guys give New Japan so far?
1: For the year I'm supposing? Yeah. Like a B minus.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a pretty fair grade I would say. Um I think all the the things that are probably are stopping it from being an A um you know, in Japan, crowds and still not being able to chair is a big thing, and not being able to fully pack out the houses. And then on the New Japan of America side, the the pay per views, the quality of pay per views that they've had as far as the streaming and just the amount of pay per views and stuff like that. But uh, overall, I mean, there's been some great matches, there's been some great bookings, some great angles. It's I think it's been a a pretty good like rebound year so far. I would agree. Uh, they also asked if everyone hoping to have a G1 with AEW and New Japan in it should Impact be considered in the tournament. If it is or not going to be 22 wrestlers, should at least two Impact wrestlers be in each block? The likes of Carl Anderson and Moose would be a great addition to the tournament and will absolutely deliver great banger matches. I'm
1: not opposed to um Including those names that you mentioned specifically, but I do struggle beyond that to, I guess, Josh Alexander's the one other guy off the top of my head from Impact. But other than those names, there's not many guys there that I'm like, oh, I hope they're in the G1.
2: Yeah, the the issue with Josh Alexander is is right now he's the Impact world champion. So I'm not sure if Impact's going to want the the world champion eating some losses uh, coming off the G1. Uh, I don't really see Carl Anderson as an impact guy. I know that's where he's been doing most of his American stuff, but I mean his plans always was always to go back to Japan. He's gonna be same facing Tama at Dominion for the never title. Um so to me he's still to me he's not really an impact guy. So it'd probably just be Moose. Um again, like Jonah's been working impact a lot, but I would still consider Jonah more of a strong person and he'll probably get in. Um so yeah, Moose would probably be the only true impact person that could or should be in it
1: it's tough to say right now how many spots are going to be open the schedule implies and based on our guess, it seems as though it's going to be a, a slightly expanded field but this is a topic we talk about every year and i won't go into it too too much in depth but there's only so many spots there's so many guys on the roster that are deserving and when you start talking about bringing in outsiders, that means inevitably someone that is deserving of a new G- of a G one spot is going to get left in the dirt. So it, there's always a a, a give and a take when it comes to this thing. And the idea of having not just AEW guys, but also hypothetically Impact, I don't know, seems a little outlandish, honestly, to me.
2: Yeah. Which Shinsuke Nakamura Wrestle Kingdom match was better Wrestle Kingdom 9 against Ibushi Or Wrestle Kingdom 10 against AJ Styles
1: Wrestle Kingdom 9 against Ibushi No no question
2: Yeah that Ibushi match was is Absolutely incredible I mean I love the AJ match But if you have to compare Same. them Yeah I would go Ibushi uh, next question: Do you think that New Japan would have continued the booking that they had gone during the pandemic if the pandemic never, never had hit New Japan in 2020? For example, evil turning on Lij, chaos long reign as six men champions, the IC and heavyweight championship being unified, etc. That's
1: a question for Kikuchi. He uh, he's the guy that oversees all the long term plans in New Japan. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was so much stuff happening before the pandemic. I mean, you had Mox getting ready to feud with Sabre. You had Naito beating Kenta in in that big matchup. I mean, they were setting up so much stuff. I mean, there was rumors of Evil getting a push and always turn, like getting a push and not necessarily turning, but uh, I don't know if it was something where, yeah, during those Months off, Gato kind of reworked the notebook or Kuchi or whoever reworked the plans. But it, it's really hard to say whether any of this stuff would have happened if there was no pandemic. Uh, then Les Commission's last question here. This is a fancy booking question of minds, but if you had to choose, which one of these would have been a better fit at Wrestle Kingdom 13? Hiroshi Tanahashi as a champion versus Kota Ibushi as a G1 Climax 28 winner in the main event or a bullet cup feud in Jay White versus Kenny Omega.
1: When was when was Wrestle Kingdom thirteen?
2: That was the Tanahashi Omega <laughs> match from uh twenty nineteen.
1: Um yeah, I don't know. Uh I'm trying to think here. So that means we would be assuming that wait, this doesn't make sense. How could Tanahashi be the IWGP champion and Kodobushi be the G1 winner? That means that Tanahashi would ha- would to have would needed to have beaten Kenny Omega prior to making it to Wrestle Kingdom. I don't know.
2: Right. Yeah, that would mean that would be assuming that yeah, Tana would have won at maybe like King of Pro Wrestling or Power Struggle and then-
1: I'll tell I'll tell you what would have been the better of all these scenarios. Kota Bushi wins the G one and wrestles Kenny Omega in the Dome. Mm. We get the Golden Lovers in, in the Tokyo Dome. How about that?
2: Yeah, that that, that should have been uh, I mean, I loved Kenny versus Tanhashi, but you know with Yeah, that, me too. With
1: and, that, he, and, and the ace rode high, whooped that <laughs> ass.
2: Uh you know, we we watched that G one match at your birthday party during that uh during that big kind of supercar we put together. That match was incredible, and the whole discourse was, you know, everybody kind of felt like that match was incredible, but they were holding back and for a bigger match, and we never got the bigger match. So, yeah, if it could have been Omega Ibushi in the dome for the, the IWGP heavyweight title, like, that would have been incredible. Uh Reddit user Boots and Burns says, Glate Scott. What do you think of the real Forbidden Door of Shima and Shingo teaming up again? Since they seem to squash their beef enough to team up, will we get to see a future tag match of LIJ versus Stronghearts? Or is the potential of witnessing the decapitation of Shima by the pumping bomber still too high?
1: yeah i don't know what to think of this one um i don't know all the backstory when it comes to these guys i know they've had heat for many many years and you know money talks they're 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 tagging together again did that already happen or because this i think this question's from a few weeks ago so i i can't i'm not sure if
2: they yeah i'm not sure if if the match has happened yet or not i know i did see like the advertisement for it and i did i've always been hearing the heat that these guys had i know Shingo was pretty upset initially when Shima was brought in to New Japan. But, yeah, it seems like they they squashed the beef for now. They they are teaming up or already have teamed up. And, I mean, I think an LIJ-Stronghearts match would be dope.
1: You know, a lot of guys that work together hate each other. So they might not squash any sort of beef. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Could we see LIJ versus Stronghearts? Sure. Does that mean it's going to include Shingo? Don't know.
2: Yeah. Uh, last question here. Also on the 518 Glate card is another potential excursion match the week as Hiroki Goto versus Hayato Tomora. El Enderman will also be defending his G-Rex title against Shigeru Iri on the card. Do you think Glate will take the title off of El Enderman to avoid these booking politics?
1: That's a great question. By the time this airs, I think most people will know the answer to that question because it should have already occurred. Um, I don't know. It seems kind of early to take that belt off of him. But, uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine, honestly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think, based on him losing to Doki on the first night as champ, I I don't think politics are going to be a a big thing coming into play here. So I think he could keep the title. I felt like they made a really big deal about him being G-Rex champ. They made a big deal about, Utah being the pure champ and Ace Austin being the exhibition champ. I think New Japan wants to have this tournament full of champions. Also, um, I don't think New Japan can control, it's going to control the late booking, but I, I, I don't see any reason that Lindeman needs to lose. I think he can still beat your ex champ and, you know, eat some losses, eat some wins and be fun. Well, that's going to wrap up the uh, questions for this week. Let's jump over to a uh, recommended match of the week. So last week for the recommended match, I recommended uh, Dominion 2014 junior title match between Kota Abushi and Ricochet.
1: Yeah, so this was a match where I couldn't recall had I seen this before because I knew that I'd seen matches between them in the past. Uh, or, or actually, I haven't looked at cage match. Maybe this is the only match they have had. I don't know. I, I doubt it. But yeah. Um, i was talking with rich about it this week and i was like i think this is the one where bushy beats him with the phoenix plex and that's exactly what it was so yes i had already seen this match going into it um but i didn't see it in real time dur- back in 2014. i actually saw this match on um access tv mm. during the access tv run when they're like airing some of the older stuff and i was blown away by it then and i'm still blown away by it now um Man, this stuff really holds up. There is some things in the match that's kind... There's some goofiness, like pre-selling in some spots where, like, you know, Ricochet knows he's going to, like, take a giant lariat. So, like, he's already, like, selling the facials on it and, and moving before he gets hit. Yeah. And and there's a lot of crazy strike exchanges where some of the stuff just didn't land. But for the most part, these guys were super fast paced super you know work rate uh just balls to the wall doing all kinds of dives and high risk maneuvers and you know awesome kick exchanges and strike exchanges and the whole time um the interesting thing about the match is how ricochet keeps trying to get the Benadriller over and over and over again and if you didn't know that was his finisher you might not know what's going on um because they they're not you know it's japanese commentary so you they you know i don't hear them being
3: like oh so you don't know
1: (laughs) but um time and time and time again he's getting close to landing it and Kodabushi just always has an answer and then um at the tail end of the match abushi's landing all of his big offense he's hitting him with the last ride and yada yada um, you know ricochet is being super resilient kicking out of everything and then finally he signals to the crowd, makes them think he's gonna do another last ride sit-out powerbomb. And instead <laughs> he Phoenix plexes this man. <laughs> it's like when he land I I had actually never when I saw that for the first time, I'd never seen that move. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, and it's still it's still as crazy today as it was back then. So um, that's the same move that broke Roman's neck in um, San Francisco a few years ago when it was botched
2: yeah so, the the dragon Lee match yeah
1: yeah um this match ruled i mean really it's just awesome if you haven't seen it you should go out of your way ricochet versus uh versus uh kota
2: bushi from dominion 2014
1: i'm uh, probably like uh four and
2: a half yeah i would go about that on it uh, then your pick from a sturgeon match of the week last week Was John Moxley versus Filthy Tom Lawler From Defy Wild Ones And man this match was awesome I know I heard Dave saying that this is probably uh, Filthy Tom's best matchup that he's seen And I, I think I'm going to have to agree with him there Like this match was hard hitting Both guys got juice uh, being thrown to the turnbuckle pad Both guys are bleeding Filthy Tom was just dripping, like, drenched in blood. It, it was crazy. Um, great strike exchanges. Uh, both guys, also Filthy Tom, MMA background, and Mox has done some MMA training, so you had, you had some good, like, submission um, exchanges, strike exchanges, and these guys, are they were brawling all over the ring. Uh, just was awesome action here, and Moxley ends up getting the, the win with the Death Rider, Uh, Towards the end dropping uh, Filthy Tom and yeah it's a Really fun matchup if you guys Have not seen it it's out on YouTube right now and Yeah this was just an awesome matchup
1: Yeah I actually haven't Even gotten a chance to check this out yet Uh, I plan to and This week's there's been a few things I did a lot of good Work watching a lot of wrestling This week but um, I still Haven't seen uh, The Taka Tai show. I still haven't seen the um Fujinami show. Those are kind of like ancillary New Japan stuff. And uh I hadn't seen this match yet. So uh you're giving it the recommend.
2: Definitely. Yeah, this match was so awesome.
1: What uh where where were you landing uh star ratings wise? Uh, four and a half. Wow, that's high. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna um check that out this week for sure.
2: Nice. So for this week, it's uh, my turn to pick the excursion match. So I'm gonna help you out here. I'm gonna go with the JTO main event from Takataichi Mania 2.5, Jun Kasai and Tomi Hanma against the Suzuki team of Doki and Elsperado.
1: Yeah, I heard this was pretty insane. Um, so I've been meaning to catch it. Any now, you watched everything from the New Japan side of that show, right? Yes. Anything else that's worth checking out or recommending or anything like that?
2: Not really. I mean, this is the only thing that I think will would make consideration for an uh, excursion match of the week.
1: Okay, perfect. Well, um, I will definitely check that out. And then um, this week, my recommended match of the week is uh, it's going to be Kota Ibushi versus Shinsuke Nakamura. Now, hold up before you say, oh, but Josh, we've already seen that match. It's been recommended before. Eh -eh, No, it hasn't. (laughs) Because this is not Wrestle Kingdom 9 that I'm referring to. I am recommending Kota Ibushi versus Shinsuke Nakamura from August 4th, 2013. New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax 23 Night 4. The Mm. first match between these guys, which in my opinion...
2: Is the better match Nice, looking forward to uh, checking that out That should be a lot of fun uh, I miss seeing uh, Nakamura in a New Japan ring
1: Yeah, and you might never see Kota in a New Japan ring again either So there's that
2: True <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's going to uh, wrap things up for us here this week Next week we'll be back to review more best of the Super Junior action if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at K.I. Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Suitplex. On Reddit, on the pro-black guy. I'm just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Floyd. The Grave Consequences Podcast, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank
0: you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.